0: Let's do this, boys.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Joe Watkins. As always, with Ian Weimer and Cameron Roswell. Hello, guys.
0: What up? What is going on, Joe?
1: Big episode. We had a quite the interview earlier this week. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna talk about it a little bit, but mostly uh, gonna be revolving around that interview with Mr. Dan Dunleavy, the current play by play announcer of the NHL's Buffalo Sabres. Really cool to talk to him. Glad he was able to come on.
2: We're getting big time.
1: Oh yeah, next (laughs) is probably I don't know. I think we'll have Tom Brady next week. You can't get better than
0: you can't get bigger than Dan. Levy. No, no, that's true. That's That's also true.
1: That's definitely the peak. It's honestly all downhill from here. But before we get to that, we're gonna do a little round of NFL Sim, and we're gonna have a ball dropper at the end of the interview. But I think we all came to a consensus what the ball dropper is gonna be. But we're gonna save that for the end of the episode.
2: Spin that wheel. I got a drum roll on file. We're going big now.
0: Oh, do you really? You got the sound yeah. effect now? Fuck yeah. you yeah, wow. can throw it in there? Give me the call. We'll start with the AFC. You guys ready? Yeah. Drum roll Spin that wheel. Oh, what?
1: It's still spinning. It's still spinning, and it's still spinning, and it's going to be it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. All right. <laughs> Yay,
2: Jacksonville.
1: Let's crack right into that schedule.
2: Uh Let's see. I'm bringing it up. Okay. All right, I got gotcha. you. Week one, who we got? Week one at Washington.
0: Oh, oh. intriguing week one, honestly.
2: That? Yeah. Ooh, I think it's going is... to be the biggest watched game of the week.
1: As in?
0: That's not true, but
1: sure. – um, no, I'm just kidding. Go Duvall. Uh, oh, man, that's tough because there's going to, you know, obviously a new head coach in Jacksonville. Travis Etienne's finally going to play, forbidding an injury. Christian Kirk adds to that receiver core. Yeah, ESPN actually
0: has LaVisca Chanel listed as their wide receiver four right now.
1: So who, who's in front of them? Uh, it's got to be Kirk, Kirk Marvin,
0: Jones, Marvin Jones Jr., and Zay Jones. Are all listed. That's right. it's
1: moved over from
2: Las Vegas. That's a pretty solid wide receiver curve core, I think.
0: Um,
1: it's not Let's like too honest. flashy, but like the quality's there. It's not one of the
0: top I like cores. I like Lavisca Chenault Junior's gadget ability. Like, there's uh, so many receivers out there in the NFL these days that are, like they're just like not a typical receivers. Like Debo Samuel uh, comes to mind immediately you've got guys like uh, Isaiah McKenzie on the bills where they just like, they fill in these like weird funky roles. Cause they're just good athletes and they just rack up yardage and, and literally any way that their OCs can get the ball in their hands.
1: All right. We, we throw Lamar Jackson in that. against Lamar Jackson as a gadget. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cause he's not a
0: quarterback. <laughs> oh, But anyway,
2: let's save it for when we get to Baltimore eventually.
1: Um, I'm going to start with Jacksonville 1 and 0. Carson Wentz, new team. Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson uh, on that offensive side of the ball for Washington, but I honestly Jacksonville I think might have a better offense than Washington. But it also depends on Trevor Lawrence.
0: On
3: his yeah, I uh, mean,
0: year. How much of a step is he going to take forward after a lot of people were disappointed in his performance last year. I'll give Jackson. This is in Washington. Uh,
1: uh, Washington does not have that much of a home field advantage.
0: But are you saying? Long. The good people of Washington DC aren't going to come out for their Commanders, man?
1: Yeah, new era. Is this the first year with the Commanders? Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Our new name. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Shit. I <laughs> know. Oh, well, I'm, well, I'm gonna stick to it. I'm sticking with Jacksonville.
0: What what is the all time record of teams playing in their first game after a rebranding? Does anyone know? That's oh, a facetious says, question. That's yeah, a facetious that's question. There's that's not a, a reasonable that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's something for
0: fucking IBM Watson.
1: Is that a Joe Factory?
0: IBM Watson. I forgot. IBM IBM Watkins, dude. Um uh, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I uh yeah. I'm gonna go Duval. We're spending a lot of time on on week one. Week one. I'm going to give Duval a yeah. win. All right,
1: week two at home against Indy. Oh, remember we talked about this one. Indy, yeah, they came on our schedule. Haven't won a game in Jacksonville since 2014. That trend is going to continue. Jacksonville is going to be two and zero after after two weeks, which is
0: wow. shocking. Uh, <laughs> when's the last time they won? 2014, you said. So like back back in like the Andrew Luck uh, era. Yes. In Indy. I think
1: was that Lux first year because Manning went to the Broncos 2014.
0: It must've been, I'm doesn't looking matter. it up. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I am going to say, I'm going to say Indy. I think I, you convinced me to pick Jacksonville when we did the Indy preview, but like thinking about it now, I, I, I am going to, I'm going to pick Indy.
2: I'm going to stick with my gun. Like that's a trend
0: that's, that's a trend that's got to break eventually. Andrew Luck's only thirty-two guys. Holy shit! Poor fucking guy. Isn't he doing ESPN college football now? I don't know. We're getting super off topic. Yeah, we're now. way Let's...
2: off topic. Let's keep going. Week three. So, so we gave. So him we, him we, we got him at. We won week two.
0: You you guys you guys it was two to one. You guys both I gave him the win. I gave I gave him the uh, yeah. You guys gave Jacksonville the win. I gave him the loss. They're they're two and zero to you start the year.
2: Two and zero going in. It's about to be two and one on the road against the Chargers.
0: That's a loss. This Lost. this is when Jaguar fans are coming, coming down from their high. They're they're slowly slipping back into reality, but they're still gonna hold on to that that feeling they had through the first two weeks. What do we got week four? At Philly. That's gonna also be a loss. Uh, it's gonna
1: be a close game, but that's gonna be a loss. I mean, Philly's gonna win. There yeah. will probably
0: be at least two or three Jaguar fans that get beat up by Philly's trash hole uh, fan 100. base. <laughs> three and a half. <laughs> Three and a half fights that make it onto Instagram. The Florida Trash versus the Philly Trash. Philly Trash all the way. All right. Two and two.
2: Two and two. Week five, I think it's going to be a great game at home against Houston.
0: So we just had this conversation. We didn't end up posting this because the recording had a lot of technical difficulties. But we had a very long conversation about the merits of Houston versus Jacksonville. And I, you guys were saying Houston could be the worst team in the league. I think Houston can beat Jacksonville.
1: Okay, so, so it's... okay, so you are 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 you saying now that when they meet twice a year, you're picking Houston right away?
0: Yes, I think Houston can finish with a better record than Jacksonville. I think okay. Houston still loses. So
2: three and three and two, Jacksonville wow. over five hundred after week five, <laughs> just barely.
0: Uh, Let's see, they're three and two. So this is this yeah. is their they they went two two and zero oh, and then zero oh and two and then this win's gonna. It's gonna spark up. that fire inside them again, right? The, so that they're is, gonna get, yep. they're gonna wanna get crazy. And, and then what do we got? Week six, at Indy. Okay, Lost. this is this it's is another right loss. <laughs> it's gonna go right and, back there. And they're they're questioning like, why are we beating like why are we winning within losing these teams? We think we should. They, I I think Jacksonville thinks they can beat Indy. I think Jacksonville think fans think they can beat Philly, and they're gonna start. That that doubt is going to start creeping into their heads. They're going to start panicking. Like, is this happening again? Is this really happening? Well, yes, yes, most, Jacksonville, it's happening again.
1: Jacksonville fans would be logical to think that's the. I mean, this team is not built for a playoff run, and the fact mm-hmm. that they're going to be well, not they're going to be. We're predicting them to be three and three at this point is
0: would be a gift. That'd be that would be great. But the, football fans team. are not patient. There, there's no such thing as a patient NFL fan. They wow. want to see their team win now, no matter what. Um, and, and it's nice because there's usually a, a good amount of parity in the league. You you see different teams making the playoffs from year to year with a few exceptions. <laughs> Tom Brady. I, I think that Jacksonville fans are, are very not that, that you could see how they reacted to Trevor Lawrence. Like they're, they're very impatient. They got the number one overall pick. They got he Trevor Lawrence. Like they, yeah, they, they want to win. They've got the young talent and they want it. They want, they want, to win, they
1: have, they have but a they're a good not young,
0: young core, but they're, but they're not gonna. No.
1: Real quick All before right. we move on, week six. I'm gonna predict it right now. Jonathan Taylor's in a rush for over 150 yards that game. Ooh, yeah, keep, put that on the record. All right, so Cameron, be take notes. A log of this. Yeah, it's it's your job. <laughs> oh,
2: okay, I'll go back. Listen to our right, week seven. What we got uh, at home against the Giants. Is that the London game? Nope, it's the week after. Uh,
0: ooh. Oh, it's the week. Oh, the week you mean this is the week the before London. the London game? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, uh... Assuming that Saquon has probably been injured now and is no longer playing, <laughs> uh, the Giants are probably losing this game.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it to Jacksonville, too. That's four and three.
2: I almost want to give it to the Giants for Daniel Jones's 88 speed. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to give it to him.
0: Uh, honestly, Daniel Jones might not even be playing by at this point. Like they might have said, "Fuck it with him," and and given the reins to Tyrod.
2: Always love. All right, Ty so Rod. we're at four and three. Will. Yeah. Yep. All right, week eight. This is the London game against Denver.
0: London game against Denver. They're losing. They're losing, and this is the loss where the fans who have been they've been jerked back and forth all year. This is the one where they're like, okay. They're 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 starting to accept reality. Like this is not going to be a playoff season. We're gonna go probably get to eight wins, which is impressive considering how shit your team was last year.
1: Doesn't look like it from here on. With the schedule, well, just saying, I, it, Denver can go either way this season, and I really think this game in London could be a trap game for them. I'm still gonna pick Denver to win it. Um, but that's a game that I think Denver could honestly choke. And it depends how they play earlier, because Russell... Wilson Denver
0: could choke every out. game on their schedule this year. Right. With the that way their, their roster's built. Right.
2: I want to see all of the London Jacksonville fans come out.
0: Hey, they're, they're and strong. And go crazy for their team. That's true, actually. they're. they're what was it? It was Minshew Mania. Minshew Mania right. kind of made a, London a, a Jacksonville city.
1: So we're at 4-4 oh. four and four
2: going into Week 9.
0: Week 9. Yep. This is
2: where it gets tough. At home against Vegas. Loss. Loss. On the road against Kansas City, loss, loss, rough loss, so we're at...
0: De- demoralizing loss, and Jaguar fans are now fully seeped in the reality of of their team's roster.
2: So we're going into six. Week Eleven, four and six, on the bye, okay. coming out of the bye, can't lose that week, at home against Baltimore, loss. loss, four and seven. Now it very quickly got real bad.
0: Going to Week Thirteen at Detroit, loss. I like Detroit. I like their. Team I give this a loss to. I think. <laughs> You think – so we're saying they're going to beat the Giants and yes. Indy, but they're going to lose to Detroit?
1: Yes. Yeah, Are you on, on the crack? Motor City, baby. Not at the moment, but I think Detroit – Detroit is a better squad. I, even though I – and you guys know this very well, that I hate, hate, hate Jared Goff or the times he's absolutely screwed me in fantasy football. Right now, Jared Goff's is a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. I like the head coach in Detroit. That's awesome, Dan Campbell.
0: I am giving Jacksonville the win here, but I'm saying DJ Shark is out on a revenge game and gets at least he, – he goes 5-60-1 at least. Five catches, 60 yards, That's and a fair. touchdown.
2: I still give Detroit the rent, win, so that puts him at what, 4-9? 4-9. At Tennessee? Loss.
0: Loss.
1: 4 and 4-10. Uh, at home against Dallas. That could also be a trap game for Dallas. I'm still picking Dallas um, Lost, that's of, Yeah. That's one of those stupid games that Dallas, even though they're really good in the regular season. That's a yeah. That's, that that that's
0: a game good. I can definitely see Dallas losing, but I don't right. think they will. Yeah. Uh, so four and 11, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that game here. Another, another good Trayvon Diggs is going to have two picks in that game, but he's also going to give up like 150 yards allowed against him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the jets win. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, the Jets can win that,
2: that dude, thing. Zach
0: Wilson throwing bombs and banging moms, man. Zach Wilson's he's he's coming out a, a brand new man this season. I think the Jets are gonna surprise some people.
1: Well and I said on a previous pot podcast the Jets are gonna finish with a better record than the Patriots. I still stand by that.
0: I don't think that's the case, but
1: uh well, we can talk about that's that right. in a different episode why I think about that. But yeah, yeah. uh I'm picking Jacksonville that game.
0: I'm going to pick the Jets.
1: Uh,
2: I think I'm going to go with Jacksonville. They finally end the skid to get the five wins.
0: Fair enough.
1: At Houston? You're going to decide that, Cameron. You already know what we're picking.
0: Well, hold on now. So maybe I need to readjust here. They they might split these games, and if they do, like obviously I would have picked Jacksonville in the first one and then now Houston uh, with the home field advantage. Wow, this is not a pretty roster for Houston. No, nah, I'm I'm gonna pick Houston still.
1: Still rolling with
2: Jacksonville. Uh, I'm gonna go with Houston. I think yeah. Jacksonville can get it done at home,
0: but not on the road against Houston.
1: How many more games you got? One more. One. At home against Tennessee.
0: Tennessee's probably not playing for anything in that game, so I'm that's, gonna say Jacksonville.
1: That's necessarily not true. I think I think Indy's gonna win the NFC South.
0: I'm not. I'm not saying they're they've already won the division. I'm saying they're not playing for anything in that game as in they can't move up or down in whatever seed they have or they've already missed the playoffs. That doesn't mean they won the division already.
1: Yeah, I'm going to pick Tennessee cuz I still think they're gonna No way,
0: dude. Tennessee. No way. No way because there's, like Derrick Henry is going to play like a quarter of that game. Like they There's no way
1: right
2: for a wild card. I think I think a quarter of Derrick Henry is better than Trevor Lawrence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would rather have Derrick Henry on my roster for a quarter of a game than Trevor Lawrence on it for the entire game, but that's
2: I'm going to give Tennessee the win. So that puts them
1: at what, five? Five wins? Five and 12. Okay, Jacksonville at five and 12. I think that's actually pretty accurate. That sounds – honestly, it could be lower. Um, But I I like that for Jacksonville. I think five and 12 is realistic. Yeah, they might be able to sneak a game in where they can win six. I'm not going to hold my breath.
0: I I think their ceiling is eight. I think realistically they're going to win six or seven.
2: Hey, if they get six, that's doubled the amount from last season, so it's an improvement.
1: All right, let's move on to the NFC. So, Cameron, drum roll, please. Cameron, let's see that lineup.
0: I can't wait for Robbie Anderson to just go torching out there and have Baker Mayfield throw it five feet behind him. DJ Moore is going to be upset and demand a trade at some point this season. Got you ready. Yeah, right, go ahead. We won
1: against the Browns. We already know that. Yep. Uh Baker's winning that game. That's a revenge game. I hope he wins that game. Every, I think everyone does. Besides, Cleveland I hope he fans, does of course. Too, yeah. I think Cleveland fans might be rooting for him to be honest.
0: If you're a Cleveland Browns fan and you're not rooting for Baker Mayfield to beat the shit out of your franchise, then you're stupid. One and zero for the Panthers.
2: Week two at the Giants.
0: Win.
1: Yeah, I'll give – yeah, win. Yeah, I agree. Uh, At home against New Orleans. La, oh, at home? No, Saints are going to be good this year. Saints are going to make a wild card spot.
0: Uh, uh, What's what's Michael Thomas's situation? Is he – I know he's on the pup list. He just got added to the pup list. Is he going to be out for the first couple of games, are we thinking? No clue. That guy's never – yeah,
1: I, that guy's never injured. Uh, he's such
0: a wild card.
1: Right. Even if he's not playing, I'm still picking – uh, New Orleans to win that game.
0: Really? Yes. With with what weapons? Like,
1: well, they have a good defense. I think their secondary is pretty good. Uh, Jameis Winston's good enough, right? Uh, if Michael Thomas is playing, great. Uh, Alvin Kamara. I just think that team is I, that team was going to be good enough to win nine ish games, and I think they're going to sneak into a wild card spot.
0: They've got a really old. Old offensive line: Ryan Rantrack, Ramshack, Eric McCoy. Mm, I have my concerns with the Saints. I'll save them for when we talk Saints. I'm gonna say Carolina's winning this game.
2: I'm gonna go with Carolina. I think. Wow, three and Carolina. Yeah, it starts to get a little rough from here. Oh, it gets very rough from here. Oh man, it's all right. All right, ready. Week four at home against the Cardinals.
0: Uh, loss.
2: Yep, I agree, loss. Uh, three.
0: Shout out to Kyler Murray. He secured his bag, by the way, re-signed with yep. the See Cardinals. 280.
2: At home against the Niners. L-
1: uh, loss.
0: Loss. 3-2 now. Well, and again, this, this could that's the one that could easily go either way just because we have no idea what we're going to get out of the Niners' offense with Trey Lance. But, yeah. So that, three that's, and two. that's
1: fair to say. I it's yeah. still got Trey Lance, man. He's such a wild card right now to where the Niners can be great and they can, you know, potentially challenge the Rams for the NFC West. I don't think they will. Um, or Trey Lance can just suck and not even make the playoffs.
0: But Which is more
1: likely. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to be mediocre enough to where the Niners probably get a wild card spot. Because uh, other than that, the offense is good. Defense is good,
0: so I don't know why they don't just hand the ball to Kyle Youzcheck every play. That game is a fucking animal.
1: Okay, three and two though. What, what do we got? Three and
0: do? two, yeah.
2: going on the road to face the Rams. Loss.
0: Loss. Demoralizing loss.
2: Oh, it's going to get worse. The week after that, they're at home against Tampa. Loss. Yep,
0: another demoralizing loss in front of their your home crowd there.
2: Yeah, so three three wins to start the year, and then four very rough losses. It's like Jacksonville. Uh, at Atlanta, win.
0: Uh, win. Yeah.
2: So four and four. Then at Cincinnati, loss.
0: Loss. Very just like horrifying loss, demoralizing loss in Cincinnati. Right.
2: And then at home
0: against Atlanta, okay, win. played Atlanta twice win.
2: in three weeks. That's yeah.
0: brutal. It's well, brutal it. for the Falcons, but yeah.
1: Well, five,
2: five and five week ten. That's not bad. At Baltimore, loss.
0: Loss. Five and six at home against Denver, loss. Loss. Also, this is about the time of the year where uh, Christian McCaffrey is going to stop playing. So,
2: all right. So five and seven at the bye, week fourteen at Seattle, win.
0: Week Week fourteen's uh, is filled with speculation over whether or not CMC is going to play because he had the bye week to rest. Uh, he doesn't play and they lose.
1: I still
2: got. Uh, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to Carolina uh, at home against Pittsburgh. Awesome.
1: That is another play well enough. Uh, Juju's gone. Uh, Claypool, he's still there, right? He's still hanging around. So
0: I is Kenny Pickett starting. I I, I don't think he is. I I I mean, they signed Mitch Trubisky. By
2: that point, I think he will.
0: No way. I don't think Mitch Trubisky. I don't think Mitch Trubisky gives Kenny Pickett a window to take the job from him all year.
2: Yeah, that I a, I remember. I'm a I big listened. believer
0: in Mitch. Okay, he made Matt Nagy's offense look good for a year. All right, Mitch Trubisky is a very good quarterback.
2: Yeah, I I listened to the Pat McAfee show and they had Kenny Pickett on, and it seems kind of like they're talking about they're giving Kenny Pickett an opportunity to kind of sit and watch for
1: a year too. two. Watch Perfect. an absolute legend, the MVP. The MVP, yeah. yes. MVP. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm picking Carolina though that game.
0: Steelers. Um, I will go... You pick, dude, you know come on. I'm going to
1: go... Think, gonna about,
2: go think about the
0: Steelers' defense, dude. Baker Mayfield isn't doing anything against that defense. Baker
2: Mayfield destroys the Steelers in playoffs, and I'm going Baker Mayfield and the Panthers on this one. Oh, my Ayo. God.
3: It's
0: such a fucking Homer answer. That's fine. All right.
2: Uh, so what are we at? That's week 15 with a bye. Six and seven. Six and seven. At home against Detroit. Win. Win. Seven and seven. At Tampa loss demoralizing loss. loss and then at new orleans denier
1: loss win wow you have them beating new orleans twice
0: yes that is i don't
1: insane.
0: i don't believe in what new orleans has going like i said i have my concerns about the saints but i'm gonna save them for the the saints preview whenever we get to them
2: uh i think the saints are gonna win
1: so we have them going eight and nine that sounds like a Pretty good season as a Carolina Panther. What a time to be alive and be a Panthers fan.
2: Three wins above last season. It's pretty solid.
1: It's a pretty good improvement. Well, early in the week, we all got to interview Voice of the Buffalo Sabres, Dan Dunleavy. That was a really, really awesome interview. We really appreciate him coming on, taking time, talk to us. Just more than just the Sabres about his his backstory, how he got into the sports broadcasting world and everything in between. So let's give it a listen. We're joined today by a veteran in the sports broadcasting world. His impressive resume includes PA announcer of the Toronto Argonauts, radio play-by-play of the Toronto Rock and the NLL, play-by-play announcer of the MLS Toronto FC, Toronto Lynx of the United Soccer League. He was the radio play-by-play announcer of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he has covered multiple international sports, including the World Junior Hockey Championship, the World Championship of Hockey, Summer and Winter Olympics. He is currently the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres, Mr. Dan Dunleavy. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you, and uh, no need to say impressive. It's yeah, just, it's just it's just a list, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. To you, it's just a list. Nobody it's very impressive list. to us. Thanks for coming on, Dan.
4: <laughs> no worry, anytime. Thanks for inviting me. This is um, this is my first uh, podcast invite. I don't even get invited by Duffer and Marty to go on Sabers Live, so this is big for me oh wow
0: weird. okay yeah. no pressure on us right yeah yeah
1: no
4: no pressure was more of a shot at them than you guys but that's fine
1: <laughs> well hopefully they're listening they can invite you out next time
4: oh, they'll hear about it
1: <laughs> well you have such a long resume and i know it's more of a broad question you started in country radio back in 1985 but how did you break into the sports side of this profession
4: patience um you know you it, it's interesting you, you bring up the it was Chowam am 1470 in welland ontario uh, which for those that maybe aren't from the um you know western new york area if you're watching or listening from this from outside that region it is just across the border from where we're having this discussion from i'm in the south towns of buffalo and uh, i went to school over there in Niagara college and one of the things that was uh, really cool about Niagara College, uh, aside from the fact I went to school with Chris Jenneret, Rick's son, uh, and we became best of friends there before I knew who his dad was, which is another story. But um, you, when you jumped into that radio, TV, and film uh, three-year course, you did everything right off the bat. I mean, there, were, there wasn't a lot of textbook. It was just jump in and do it. So you were a, a, a rock and roll DJ or you know, a music DJ of any genre that you wanted to pick you were writing news stories, you were a newscaster, you were a producer, you produced a magazine show, uh, you worked on putting a film together, and then you were part of a, uh, a radio station as well. So you really did everything. And one of the opportunities that came up really early to me um, was a chance to go work at uh, CHOW. And I'll ever forever remember the day that uh, I was called in by our radio uh, teacher at the time, his name was Stu Black. And he said, look, we have an opportunity for you. We think this would be great for you. And that is to go work at a country music station and do an overnight shift on the weekends. Now, I'm a college student, right? You just took away my weekends. And it wasn't to be a rock and roll <laughs> DJ. Right? It wasn't to go play Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Van Halen and all the things I wanted to play. It was to go be a country DJ. Now, I wasn't anti-country, but I admittedly would hear more country from my father having it on the radio at home and, and not be really in a walking encyclopedia. Of the genre and an expert but what i learned early on and where we're going to get to you you asked the question how to get into sports was what i learned early on from that very moment it was not the opportunity that i was waiting for i was i really was hoping that it would be a a rock and roll radio station or or something else but i learned and i'm pretty sure that Stu, uh the teacher made this clear but i kind of knew in my gut that if I get in this industry and I say no to anything right now, that's not going to be a smart move because there's obviously going to be some learning for me along the way, no matter what I do, even if it's something I love or if it's something that I didn't really choose. So I I took the opportunity and I wound up working there for two years until I graduated from Niagara college. And I worked my way up from being an overnight guy. I, I actually produced and, and ran a, a talk show that, um, The host really put together, but I was on the other side of the glass. So when I say produce, I mean the production side of things, the sound and everything else, working the board, uh, fielding calls, screening calls, which is really interesting. So I did that and I learned right away that, you know what, I'm not going to get to be that sportscaster right away. There are going to be other things that I'm going to have to do and I'm going to have to learn from that. So that that you mentioned off the top in in 1985 was the first real broadcasting job on a regular basis that I took. And uh, one really interesting or kind of cool note from that was uh, one of the overnight shifts that I worked. Now, again, we're going back to the mid 80s. Okay, so the technology is pretty laughable to you guys uh and your generation which i understand but you know the newsroom from that radio station so i'd be sitting for example right here at the at the console of the radio station and playing music and whatever popping in back then what we called carts which looked like eight track tapes and i don't even know if you look, know what they are but they were big they were like a big box and it had a tape in it and you just put it in the machine and and the cart would play and that's where the music was on it, not everything was on a turntable so i would put in a bunch of these carts and you could uh, put them in a cart machine that would whip four of them off in a row. So you wouldn't have to touch them. You could go for a walk, do whatever you wanted. The four songs to play in a row, Um, you know, and you'd set it up. Hey, we got a four song hit coming up here for country music, whatever you're doing. And you could just go do something for twenty minutes. If you pick the longest songs, you could do something for half an hour, right? If you wanted to play the country version of stairway to heaven, back to back, to back, to back, you had half an hour, (laughs) but one night it was the Islanders and the capitals playing that, um, the four overtime game that went till I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, two thirty in the morning. I shouldn't know the answer to that, but all I remember is I just kept putting music in the cart deck to go watch this hockey game on a black and white TV <laughs> that was as the the screen was as big as one of the boxes I'm looking at here now as we do this this podcast, and that was my first sports moment in broadcasting that I wasn't even broadcasting the game, but I just couldn't like everybody in that moment you couldn't stop watching that particular game because you were just it kept going you know fourth overtime and my goodness um but between that i was being a country dj working from i think at 10 30 at night till six or seven in the morning whatever um but that's where it started and then i learned i'd have to wait to be a sportscaster and then the sportscaster thing never came up really professionally until i got out of Niagara College I did call some hockey games at Niagara College it's just you know again in doing everything in that course we did some of that but the the first professional opportunity was in a a place called Orangeville Ontario which is about I guess 35 minutes north of Toronto straight shot up Highway 10 from Toronto a little bit west of and then up north and I worked at that station first of all writing news for other people on the weekends I would go in and read the paper, and I would pick stories from the paper, and I would write news stories um, with black carbon paper between yellow sheets, just old school typewriter and everything, and and leave those stories for the newscasters on Monday to start their, their week of, of news stories with on Monday morning. And then from there, I just kind of bided my time. I, again, I did every job that was ever asked of me there, uh, even after the program director told me to pick another profession because I was no good at it. And I just started, and I thought, how could you tell a guy or anyone they're not good at something when they just walked through the door about two months ago? So I just thought, to heck with you. And I stuck with it. I was there for eight years, as it turned out, and I wound up being the news and sports director. Uh, but it was at that station where I did my first sports cast and had the opportunity to say, okay, this this really is something I want to do. I read news for a number of years there, and um, as we all know in the world today, the news can be very um, – stressful at times just to, you know, if you watch newscasts every day, you're probably going to bum yourself out, to be honest. And that was something for me that I thought I can do this and I could do it today, but it wasn't something that was the same as sports where you could kind of live in the moment and have some fun with it. And, uh, you know, not that there aren't serious things about the sports business, but, uh, certainly many years ago, uh, it was more so about fun and and enjoying the games and what have you. So uh, this before Twitter and everything came out, but that's, you know, it's a very long answer and you're going to get used to that on this podcast with me. Uh, (laughs) They're long answers, but it really went from country music, be patient, go to a station when you graduate, your first boss tells you you're no good. You got to leave about two months into the gig. You tell him quietly to yourself to do, you know what, with that comment and you (laughs) last eight years and then from that eight years, you wind up doing everything you can in radio and eventually working your way to Toronto, where it turns into eventually where we are today.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we move on, Dan, 1 uh, a.m. local time was when the Easter epic ended when lo and behold, Pat LaFontaine Pat scored LaFontaine, the overtime yeah. winner. Yeah.
4: No, I can see that little black and white TV screen right now. I kid you not, it was, these boxes are actually probably bigger than that. <laughs> um well that's good i said two o'clock right so i was yeah like, you're very, close. Maybe very, or close. very yeah. close yeah
0: i believe
3: very you close. said a two college o'clock.
4: student yeah a college student back on the weekends in those days you were just kind of dying because you weren't out, you know with your new friends and yeah making new friends at that time but i also you know in, in in all seriousness and i do share this story a lot when i talk about it is because you know a lot of uh, uh Not just the world today, but there are people that will get to where they want to get to in any career choice quicker than others. But that doesn't mean that your path is the wrong one. It's the right one for you, and it works out the way it works out for you justify. I know I have in your own mind for a number of reasons. And I think in my mind, the path has been a bit longer because I've understood that I need to open my eyes along the way and learn some things and, and not go in just being... A sports guy and calling games, and that's all you can do. And, you know, literally, I know that if things were to change for me in a heartbeat, I could find a job in this business and it wouldn't be sitting down to do an interview and someone saying, So have you done this before? And I'd say, Sure have. So, <laughs> you know, all the years, all the years building up to today uh, have been very important. At times, they've been frustrating as you kind of, you know, you wait for an opportunity or you look for jobs that aren't there and uh, you can get frustrated. But if you just, Kind of take a step back and and realize that there are reasons these things are going on and try to learn from them. You can make something of it. doesn't mean you're not going to be frustrated and upset at times, but uh, a lot of times once you step back, you kind of get a big picture look at things.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, going back also to, you know, just talking, you started your career in the 80s. How how do you think broadcasting has kind of evolved since then?
4: That's what his first time anyone's kind of put it that way. So you started your career in the eighties. Um, <laughs> nice cam. Yeah. No, no, it's a good one, Cam. It's actually, <laughs> these are really, these are awesome questions because uh, they're all real, right? I mean, it is true. I did start in the eighties and it makes you, um, it makes you think back to, you know, I haven't been doing it as long as other people, but it's, it's been a while. The business itself, that's interesting. Um, the people have not changed. So let's say that, you know, there's always personalities in this business and there are characters and there are straight line people. And by that, I mean that people will do things by the book and there are other people that will take chances and do things their own way. And quite often they will go on to be very intriguing and interesting personalities uh, in different ways in broadcasting. Now, certainly uh, growing up for me, we had, you know, when I'm talking about being five years old and on up and growing up in Georgetown, Ontario, our television sets got every Buffalo station when I grew up in Georgetown. So I grew up on Buffalo. I grew up on Channel 7, 4, and 2, and Ted Darling, and Irv Weinstein, everybody, all of them, Ed Kilgore. They were in my house every night. That's how I got the news. Uh, probably watching a Buffalo station that went to the network the, the night that Elvis Presley died. I mean, I remember that as a kid. So um, I grew up on this city, and um, you know, little did I realize how important that was going to be so many years down the road but the difference from now to the 80s obviously technology and I think the race to get information out which has always been there has really intensified and I've been places where people have raced to get information out and they've they've sent it out incorrectly uh, and have got to go back and apologize even going on the air and announcing that very prominent people had passed away without doing their own homework or their own legwork on the story and confirming and verifying things. And as I've watched the industry changed and I sat in a major, well, I sat in Canada's most listened to newsroom in Toronto and I would watch a lot of, we call it scalping when people just take stories off of whether it be CNN or pick the network. Um, And they'll just kind of go with the story without making any calls of their own to verify whether or not that story is true and just trusting that, be it CNN, be it Fox, be it uh, network news, whatever, that they got the story right. And that's not what journalism is. So I th- I think that that race to get information on the air has at times outweighed for some verifying or verification of, of some stories. So that's not to say that the, the airways are littered with lies because they're not. Um, but I think the lesson is that at least I've always had this feeling is that I would rather wait the extra five minutes to do the work, to get the story, right. Just confirm it once, just confirm that it's true. Then go with it because that sticks with you. If you get it wrong, it sticks with you. For example, uh, and this isn't a news story, but you know, in calling Sabres games and this happens a lot, I will pronounce a name that undoubtedly at some point will be um, not pronounced the same way that somebody else does. And someone will, you know, be all over, be it social media or just somewhere, someone to make a comment saying, well, Dunleavy's got the name wrong. Um, Hey, we don't know how I got the name. I might've got the pronunciation from a player and the person doing the critiquing did not, or I was lazy and didn't get the pronunciation from the player. And the person doing the critiquing is actually right. So at the end of the day, it behooves me to take that five minutes at a morning skate, introduce myself to a player, do my own digging to find out how to say a name. And that is Uh, Or learn a rule, you know, to read the NHL rule book, which is something that I know if you, well, I know you do, you listen to Marty Baron, Every time something comes up in a game, you can count on Marty to have the rule book called up, I mean, in two seconds, right? Oh, yeah. Right? And you're laughing, (laughs) but it's true. But we do. We read the rule book. Marty, obviously, with the intermissions, a lot of times as the game is going on, um, Rob and I will sit there and, you know, for us to have even a heartbeat to just, let's say get onto Google or I've downloaded it. It's on my desktop of my computer that's in front of me at every game, the NHL rule book, you know, to look up section 16.1, whatever, while the game is going on, is probably not going to be the best thing for me to do because somebody's going to score a goal. I'm going to be head down looking at my computer and I'll look up with the pucks in the net and I'll just say, uh, he scores and not know what happens. So, um, you know, Marty has that advantage, but it does be, again, it behooves us as, NHL announcers to to know and understand the NHL rulebook and the league certainly lets us know that every year it's like hey guys read the rulebook understand the game that you're calling Um, so that's our bit of uh, homework that we have to do and I think that is intensified more so than let's say you talk about how's it changed in the 80s the broadcasting I know for us you could probably get that wrong in 1985 a rule or not get something hundred percent correct. And you wouldn't, when you're finished your job, look at your phone and seeing it blowing up with 200 mentions that, Hey, you screwed up. Um, you know, you, you would probably find out a couple of days later somebody from the league or one of your counterparts or one of your coworkers would call up, go, Oh, remember that rule we thought we knew? Yeah, we were wrong. Um, so, you know, for our, our part of it, that's probably the best example, but, yeah, technology, um, I mentioned earlier, I used to write stories on paper and we'd have carbon paper in between and you'd just make three or four copies of a story and then all of a sudden computers came in when I was in Toronto working at the FAN and 680 and we had to learn how to use computer programs and we were editing our own audio, uh, retrieving our own audio just like this on the spot and you know, getting it ready. Um, you know, I guess a good example would be maybe... Joe Carter would call the station because you requested to talk to him for a minute. Um, you know, you'd, you'd dial up the phone on the computer like you guys have done here. Uh, you'd ask Joe Carter a couple of questions and then you you look up at the clock and you see you've got 90 seconds before your next sportscast and you just had Joe Carter on. You got to get that clip. Um, so that was the, the beginning of instant sound and making sure you could retrieve that, get it and put it on the air. Where back in the day, um, like really early 80s, Cameron, um Was you had to use, <laughs> we actually use what were called reel to reel machines. And again, a lot of people might have to Google this stuff, but it was actual tape on reel to reel. It's like music recording machines back in the day, right? And I still think they use four track. I don't know if anybody uses eight now. Dave Grohl might uh, at times with the Foo Fighters, but you would have to use those kind of tapes. You would re- record a phone call, it would go on that tape, and then you'd actually have a razor blade and a chalk pen. And you would have to just kind of move the tape side to side, just as if you're doing some kind of Djing gig and find your in and out points and you'd actually physically cut the tape and then tape over top of that. and then that would be your sound bite. And then you'd have to put it on a cart machine that I mentioned earlier. You'd put a cart into a machine and you'd have to record it onto that cart. And then you'd go to the the booth, so you couldn't do that in fifteen seconds. but that's what you can do now. So that's probably the biggest change
1: that's wild oh it's changed a little
4: (laughs) yeah it's uh, like i say the idea hasn't changed just the ability to quickly turn things around and because of the ability to turn things quickly around sometimes there is a a quick jump at least in my view to assumption without doing the proper legwork or homework at times so um and you can tell i mean I, i don't know about you but i i mean maybe it's just because having been in the business i could watch I can watch an announcer on a broadcast, and I know if they did the work or if they just pieced it together really quick and went to air because everybody else has done the same thing. You can just tell. And that's really what sets people apart in our business. Um, listen, it's what set RJ apart from everybody because he did things similar to the way uh, hockey play-by-play guys were doing it when he was calling games. But he had his own way when the when the bell rang to become Rick Jenner and RJ in a moment. That's when he did his thing, right? And that's why he stood out and did so well and became a Hall of Famer. Um, so that's that's kind of the same in this business for everyone. You you have a way, but then you find your own way and and you try to stand out.
1: Right, and you've done a very like wide variety of sports, from soccer, mm-hmm. lacrosse, uh, public announcer, and uh, for the Toronto Argonauts. Curling, you
3: guys have all curling, your- right? Oh of yeah, course big, I have yeah. never <laughs> curled. <laughs>
1: but working with the Olympics, I gotta imagine that's a different. Maybe it's not. But mm-hmm. what was your experience with the Olympics, just in general? Because that that's, that's got to be something really awesome to be able to. Yeah, catch. it was
4: cool. So really, uh, I honest, I'll be quick here. So backstory: I actually had um I was out in Kelowna, BC, which is out. Uh, Uh, headed towards uh, Vancouver. It's not Vancouver, so people that are from BC, I know, but I'm just trying to paint a picture. (laughs) So heading out, um, I was actually meeting with the owner of the Kelowna Rockets, and I was offered their play-by-play job. And at the time, I was working at the fan in Toronto, which was obviously if you were a sports guy, that's where you wanted to be. It was, I believe, only the second North American all-sports station um, on the air. The other one was the fan in New York. And a guy by the name of Alan Davis was a program director there. Alan Davis is now the program director at WGR 550 in Buffalo, which again, life comes full circle. He hired me at the fan in Toronto. And, uh, excuse me. I went out there because that opportunity within our company, which was telemedia radio at the time was there. And everybody knew that I wanted to continue play by play and become a full time play by play guy. And the Kelowna Rockets were the gem of the Western hockey league at the time. And, um, just a, a great area and a great team. And I went out there and then I remember having a phone conversation after I met the team and, and kind of had a look around and thought this place is beautiful. And for whatever reason that I still don't a hundred percent know why, but again, it's one of those things, like I talked about earlier, sometimes you just kind of step back and you, you look big picture. And for me at that time, even though that was the job I wanted, I thought, Well, actually, the story is I talked to a former GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs who was also on the air of the fan and a former player agent by the name of Bill Waters. And I asked Bill for his advice uh, because Bill was a hockey guy and he was also a fan of the work I had been doing at the fan. And I said, hey, I have this opportunity. And he said, look, it's a great opportunity. Anybody would love to go work for the Kelowna Rockets. And he's not wrong. The thing is, when you leave the fan in Toronto – Again, the only all Canadian sports station, you're never getting that post back again because someone's going to fill that role. And even if you want to come back, there won't be an opening. It'll get filled. So if you stay at the fan in Toronto, even though this is an amazing opportunity in the Western Hockey League, there might be other opportunities that you don't even know are coming that will come because you're in Toronto and because people are hearing you in Canada's largest market. So I decided to stay. And I was at the airport in Kelowna getting ready to fly home and I called back to the fan and I said to my boss, hey, I'm staying. I'm 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 not going to Kelowna. I'm staying. And on that phone call, I was told, well, hurry up and get back and pack your bags because you're going to Australia. You're covering the, covering the Olympic Games. And I had no idea. I didn't have a clue. Our reporter who usually covered Olympic Games, Howard Berger, uh, wasn't going to these games. And I can't remember the reason, but how he wasn't going. So I was, again... Uh, This goes to the whole, just be patient, put yourself in the right place and things, you know, work hard and things will happen. And that's exactly what happened. Howard couldn't go. Um, I didn't go to Kelowna. I come back. My boss says, you're going to Australia and you're there for a month and you're going to the Olympic Games. At the time, we were non-rights holders, which means we weren't NBC or we weren't CBC or whoever has the rights. So as a non-rights holder, you're not allowed to go in and cover the events inside venue so if you're covering swimming you you know i have an olympic pass and everything but i can't go in there and then interview somebody i i i can watch an event but if i interview somebody i have to be outside of a certain zone and quite often this is the honest truth it had to be in a parking lot like you could not even be on the grounds of the swimming pool building you had to be in the parking lot or even outside the parking lot and you had i learn that you had to make arrangements so if the three of you were olympic athletes i had to get in touch with you or your agent to talk to you and then have them bring you to me outside of a parking lot after you just ran the 100 meters at 12 30 at night in australia and give me a sound bite so you can imagine how tough that was now you know uh, the canadian olympic team was very helpful because they knew there were a lot of non-rights holders there but So that's what covering the Olympics were like, especially the summer games. They are so wide, so vast, so many sports that are spread out all over the place that you, um, I found you just had to pick, um, where the best Canadian athletes were and just be in the neighborhood where they were competing and try to get sound bites from them. And again, quite often if it was a rower, for example, you'd talk to rowing Canada before you went to Australia, let them know you'd be there. You give them your number. Uh, and yes, there were cell phones back then. And, um, then they would call you and say, okay, well, we've got Dan Dunleavy waiting in the parking lot. He needs to talk to Adam Vancouver about his race uh, after he gets out of the kayak. So that, that's what coming to the Olympics were like. The winter games are very different uh, because they're a little more compact. Everything's happening in a kind of a tighter village or city. Like uh, Vancouver is probably the most spread out. Um, so I had summer games in Australia and Athens, Greece two amazing places to go to, to work for a month. And then the winter games were, of course, uh, in Vancouver, which at those games I had a chance to call hockey games, um, which was just a real thrill. And I was sitting uh, right beside Peter Marr, former voice of the Calgary Flames, who called the men's Olympic hockey tournament a gold medal game. And uh, that was really cool. I hosted the broadcast and I was kind of Peter's backup or standby. Um, if he couldn't go. And he almost couldn't go. He was losing his voice before the gold medal game.
3: Oh. And I was freaking
4: out thinking, don't you dare wish wrong for Peter Marr because he's the nicest man on the planet. So don't you dare, in the back of your mind, wish Peter Mar to lose his voice. Uh, because he's he's dreaming of that moment too, right? And yeah. Peter Mar certainly has, had earned that opportunity. So... Uh, It was just great to host that. Um, I did call the men's bronze medal game. I called the women's gold medal game between Canada and the U.S. And of course, as you know, that's always a great game. Uh, So I did have opportunity to do uh, some Olympic hockey play-by-play when I was out there. But uh, that's my Olympic experience.
0: Outstanding stuff, Dan. Thanks. Um, You actually mentioned in that story about how hard it is to leave the fan so when you got your offer from Buffalo, can you talk to us a little bit about the transition period and how you came to the decision that it was time to move on?
4: Yeah, so the whole Buffalo thing came about. I mean, I'm I'm not sure how aware you are, but I'm sure you've done your homework on it. There was a point in time where RJ started doing uh, fewer games, right? And they started to uh, the team was auditioning guess, like, several people to just kind of see what it would sound like to not have Rich Jenneret call every single game, which is. Uh, a culture shock, right in Buffalo uh, for people not to hear RJ calling a game. And I was at the fan at the time, and interestingly enough, so at the fan, um, where I had been for nineteen years, 19 plus, and then SportsNet had just started up the CHL game of the week and it was every Friday night. and they were just all set to go to air with that on a uh, in, in the fall. So they had asked me if I wanted that job. And I said, of course I do. Um, That meant I had to leave the fan, and I would just be full-time at Sportsnet TV and and doing these games. But I was not saying no to this. I mean, I was all in. I was excited about it. A chance to work with Sam Cosentino, who I worked with uh, in the OHL with Toronto for a number of years at St. Mike's. So I was all in. Um, And then, kind of out of the blue or out of nowhere, I got a a call from... um, the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. I didn't apply for a job with the Leafs, but I, I just got a call and I was I was asked if I would be the radio play-by-play guy for the Maple Leafs. And I didn't, again, I didn't, what, why? Where's this coming from? But what happened to Joe Bowen? What's going on? Dennis Bayak is there as well. So Dennis Bayak had um, yeah. taken the job in Winnipeg when the, the team uh, in the NHL went back as the Jets. And Dennis Bayak went to call a Jets game. So there was a, a radio void there to share with Joe Bowen uh, and do half the season. So when Joe would be on TV, I would pick up his games on radio, which worked out to be half of the the campaign. So I was doing that, or getting ready to do that. And in the months previous, Jack Armstrong, who was the former men's basketball coach at Niagara University over here, he worked at the fan and he said to me, "Listen, I've heard your world Junior stuff. I've heard your world championship stuff. Why are you not in the NHL yet?" And I said, "Well, I don't have an agent. I don't know how to get there." Um, every time a job comes up, it's filled before I know what to do about it or if it even existed. And he had mentioned that, um, you know, he knew Mr. Quinn really well. And he recommended that I talk to Mr. Quinn and, and just, you know, look into um, maybe auditioning for the Sabres. And I thought, okay, this is fine. So this is all before the leaf call happens. So I apologize. I fast forwarded there, but it does come together. Um, So I, meet with Mr. Quinn and brought him my demo tape and we had a really nice conversation. And at the end of that, he said, I'll give you two games. And one was in Anaheim. That was the first one. I think the second one was in Ottawa. So I'll always remember that because I went to Anaheim um, all of a sudden, very quickly. And I'm called a hockey game with Harry Neal, who was, you know, obviously an idol for me growing up as a broadcaster. He and Bob Cole on Hockey Night in Canada. I watched them every single night. And all of a sudden I'm working with Harry Neal and, um, the also being the furthest away from a hockey game I'd ever been because we're in Anaheim and the broadcast booth in Anaheim is up in the heavens where in Toronto at St. Mike's, I'm literally standing just almost right on top of the ice surface. So that was, I was freaking out. I thought, how am I going to see who's got the puck in the far corner of the ice here and get this right? Um, but I did, and, you know, Harry was Harry, and he was fantastic. So I did my two games at Buffalo, and then I um, I remember when they decided to make um, a, a a real-time decision on what they were going to do, and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with RJ and his decision on how much he was, you know, at that time, wanting to pull back and kind of lighten the load a little bit. And then uh, um, I remember getting a call saying, hey, thanks, you did a great job, and but we're going in a different direction. And, you know, things kind of sink a little bit. Um, in within yourself and you go, like, oh, that didn't work out very well. But then fast forward to what I just mentioned with you, how the Leafs called out of nowhere and offered me that job. And so Sportsnet offered the job, the Leafs offered the job literally two weeks later. So I had to go back to Sportsnet and tell them that I was not taking the job that I just said, yes, I would take and then go work for the Maple Leafs. And then in year two of my three-year deal in Toronto, my first deal in Toronto, I got a call from the Sabres. And it was—I I remember it always. I was mowing my lawn backyard in Burlington, Ontario, and it was the Sabres calling, asking if I would be able to get on my contract in Toronto and come join Buffalo and and just kind of be there for you know games and and be ready when um, RJ would eventually be set to retire. And uh, again, I didn't hesitate. I just thought, look, for some reason, this opportunity has come back to me, and I am. I, be, I believe in things like that and I'm I'm definitely not saying no to this. So I then went to the Maple Leafs and told them I had an offer in Buffalo and I spoke to um, some very high up people uh, in that organization as well. And I said, I feel like I'm like just a yo-yo, right? Like everything's happening very quickly. And... Um, You know, it was Mr. Anselmi, Tom Anselmi. I had a really nice meeting with him and he was very kind. He says, look, you can work here any day you want. We love what you do here. But at the same time, if you have an opportunity like it sounds like you do in Buffalo, um, you know, if if, if you're someone they're going to trust when Rick decides that he's going to retire, then uh, that's a pretty neat spot to land. So we wish you the best of luck. And um, I got out of the last year of the deal and that's how I came to Buffalo. So the transition was very hurried for me. I mean, things were happening really quickly. And, um, you know, my attitude at the time was, I don't know, it was a little bit outside of the box. I mean, everything that was happening within Toronto was within a was within a kind of a safety zone. I mean, I knew everybody, right? I, I'd been at the fan for 19-plus years, so I knew the people at Sportsnet. We were both owned by the same company. I had done work with Sportsnet, some alpine skiing, different shows, curling. So I'd met production staff. I knew people. Um, I was all set to work, as they say, with Sam Cosentino, who I know very well. So that was a comfort zone. And then the make Leafs. well, you grew up. Uh, I was born in Toronto, grew up 45 minutes west of. So you watched every game on Hockey Night in Canada. That was another, you know, it was a nervous comfort zone. The Buffalo was a different nervous comfort zone because I'm now walking in to a market where there is an absolute legend who nobody wants to see ever, ever retire. and. um I'm suiting up to try to be the best version of myself and try to let people know I'm not trying to out-compete or out-work RJ, but just be ready when they say, this is your game. This is, you know, do your thing and, and remind myself that this is, these are my moments to make myself better and be ready for when the day comes that when Rick does retire and then you get an opportunity to be kind of the everyday guy. So, um, again, uh, The transition, yeah, it was different because it was a different box. It wasn't the same box I was familiar with. And, um, I mean, there are, I'll be honest, there's still times now that, um, you know, I've moved here a year and a half ago and getting to know more so certainly about the communities and the people here. And as I say, I grew up watching Buffalo and TV, but now I'm living it, right. I'm going to the store every day and I'm living it. I'm living the highs and the lows of the communities and, and working the community and volunteering and and different things like that. And, You know, being around when glory happens and when tragedy strikes, like we all have been around lately. So, um, you know, it's a a different way to kind of experience this new box that I'm in um, and kind of broaden it a little bit. So, uh, you know, I guess I'd probably be the best long winded way to explain it. It was just a different, um, completely different uh, transition than I'd ever dealt with before. I mean, it's a different country, too, even though I'm familiar with it. It's still, now you're working in a different country. You got to go get a work visa. You got to, uh, you've got to almost, you're not begging, but you've got lawyers working for you to say, hey, is it okay if Dan comes from Canada to work in, in New York State? And, you know, to the to the employee, you're just thinking, well, wh- why can't I? <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't do anything wrong, yep. but I understand why. You know, there's, there's certainly always good arguments for people that are trying to protect jobs for those in, in, in any country, so um, all that was part of the transition for me. It was just a lot of new things that I'd never dealt with before.
0: Yeah, great stuff. I mean, awesome that you talk about, um, the community and the people of Buffalo, because as we all know, Buffalo is much more than just the Bills and the Savers, you know, and and to a lesser extent, the Bisons. Um, you and Marty Buron are two really big personalities that participate in the Bald for Bucks, uh, effort. Um, can you talk a little bit about? That organization and how the savers got were able to get involved with that and help raise over $6 million over the last couple of decades mm-hmm. for cancer research.
4: Yeah, well, that's Marty started that one for sure. Have, um, there's no hesitation in, in, and nor do I want credit, but Marty was the one who was really first in from our broadcast side on Bald for Bucks. And, um, if you remember going back to when the ball for bucks campaign started, the entire team was involved pretty much. Remember they, I don't know if you do recall, but they sat all the guys out on the stage out of the main concourse. Yep. And I don't know how many players there were. I'll just say maybe about 10 guys sat up there. They all got their head shaved, um, for that first time. And that really had an impact. I think that's what really raised the awareness of the event and, and Hey, why are these guys doing this? What's the cause and and everything else. So once I saw that, um, I thought this is something I could easily get involved in. I had never shaved my head before, um, even playing, uh, you know, soccer in the summer. I wish I did when I was younger because it, maybe I would have run faster too back then. But uh, it feels great when you shave your head, by the way. And you know, we don't have time on the broadcast to go completely bald with the the razor or anything, but we go down as much as we can. And uh, really, when you see and, and Marty again led this, when you see the the kids that get involved. And the ambassadors for Roswell Park, uh, Comprehensive Cancer Center, and the stories that we're telling in their fight against cancer, it's a no-brainer. I mean, big deal. Shave my head, it'll grow back. Um, These kids are fighting for their lives, and other adults are fighting for their lives, and their hair never grows back um, if they survive. You know, it's—it's we're dealing with cancer here. So uh, that was easy enough to get involved in. And then this past, you know, year or so has been tough uh, in the house. Uh, My wife was diagnosed with a rare cancer. And that made, uh, you know, Roswell Park um, a daily part of our lives, not just part of Hockey Fights Cancer Night or not just part of Bald for Bucks. All of a sudden we're at Roswell Park every week and she's undergoing chemotherapy treatments and she's asking the questions why and she feels like crap. And, um, you know, so it's, um, yeah, it's it's easy to, to decide to get involved with anyone who's trying to save people's lives. And that's what that's what the Bald for Bucks campaign is all about. And the people who donate to us, a lot of them I've never, ever met. And uh, But every year, you know, uh, I can say it now from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for your donations. And every time you reach out, um, you know, this year for us, a lot of it was about Brenda, but, you know, we're fortunate that we have the ability to afford uh, some of the care. And right now there's obviously a lot of people out there that face some pretty huge medical bills when stuff like this comes up. So. Uh, obviously we're raising money for cancer research, but anytime you raise awareness about the fight, I think that's when you also help other people in different ways too.
1: A ball for bucks. Really cool. You know, once a year, see you guys, um, with the, the shaved head on the broadcast, really cool to see. And like you said, the players this year even got in not on it.
4: You guys should get in on it this upcoming season.
0: Done. Easy.
4: Why, yeah, yeah, why not? Easy. Yeah. Yeah, why not? That's <laughs> an, it.
0: that's an easy take. I'll well, go, I'll go hey, up I there. Ju- too, yeah.
4: I just got back from Florida and just on a, on a lark. I don't think you can see it, but I went blonde. Yeah. <laughs> I went all blonde guys. I got my second dog. It looks good. I got my second dog tattoo. <laughs> and I went, I, it's funny. I walked by a, some hair salon North of Fort Lauderdale beach. And I just, I walked in, I said, I don't know why I'm here, but make me silver. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> all right. So But only parts are silver and then other parts are kind of like a funny, funky blonde. So I'm in a bit of trouble right now. That's why I'm wearing the hat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it looks great. (laughs) Well, another charity that I know that you're involved with is the SBCA and me and Cameron both have pets. And that's something that I'm not too familiar with. I know they do a lot of work with animals and stuff like that can can you speak more to that and like why you got involved
4: yeah so actually this is we're gonna go way back remember we're talking about uh starting out and i gave you my first really long answer about um you asked about getting the sports and i said it actually goes all the way back to a place in orangeville ontario where i was writing news for people during the week so one of the stories that i was reading in a newspaper uh up in orangeville to write for the monday morning newscast was about um uh, someone who had been arrested and charged for running a puppy mill. And in that puppy mill, there were 40 huskies. Uh, just a terrible story. And if I'm sure you guys know what puppy mills are. But for those that don't, there's people that just raise dogs. They don't look after them. They just basically let them fend for themselves. They stick them in a box or a crate. And they it's literally a mill. It's disgusting. But so this guy, was uh, he was arrested. He was charged. So they had 40 husky puppies. Um, and you know, the conditions are so bad, the ones that the dogs that were surviving were eating the dead dogs to survive. I mean, that's how vile this gets, but I'm only sharing that because that's, if you hear of a puppy mill, that's what you're talking about. So I read the story, I wrote the story and I thought, uh, you know what? I have always wanted a, a Husky. And at this point I'm in my early or mid twenties and I've just moved away from home, and I'm thinking, "Ah, I don't know. I mean, I'm single. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm just starting my career. You're getting a pet, right? You're getting a dog. This is a real-time commitment here. I mean, there's no just going out for the night without coming home and making sure your dog's okay, and it's that you're not, you don't have a cat that you can leave alone for a little bit longer with a litter box. you got to be there for the dog, so, but I decided really quick. I thought, I need to, I need to step in here. Uh, A, I'm kind of fulfilling a want for me, but I need to go. I I need to save a puppy here. So I did. I went into a a town north of Orangeville called Thornton, Ontario, just south of Barrie. Again, we're still talking north of Toronto. And the last husky that was there was this little gray and black and white husky with ice blue eyes. We're talking put Marty to shame eyes. And this little guy was cowering in a corner of the place where uh the spca up in thornton had rescued these 40 dogs and they told me and said dan you can have one but we only got one left so you can't choose i said it doesn't matter i mean that dog's meant to be with me then so let's do this so uh went and picked him up um with the girl i was dating at the time thankfully she came with me because the dog the puppy wouldn't come see me because he and the people the spca said he was abused by a male So when he hears a male voice, he's not really coming over and running to give you a big hug and a kiss because last time he heard that they were being abused. So, um, he went, uh, right towards the girl that I was seeing. And then as soon as they kind of hit it off, then he came over to me. And from that moment on, he never left my side for the entire 11 and a half years. He was with me. So I had him with me for 11 and a half years. He passed away absolutely anyone who has a pet knows it just crushed and broke my heart and i didn't really know how to cope with it and it took about another decade before um eventually bandit came along so how that happened was the sabers were having an event at the spca in buffalo and right away i said i need to be involved in this Uh, i i wasn't looking to get a puppy though i'll say that much and my my wife brenda uh she came out with me and before the public was allowed in to see the puppies, because it was an event to, you know, educate and promote. And, hey, we've got some puppies coming in. Um, the people that ran SPCA said, hey, Dan, do you want to see the puppies before the folks come in? And I said, oh, yeah, let's do it. So Brendan and I go to the back. And as soon as I I can see it now, I turn left around a corner and I look to my right. And this little guy comes bouncing out of nowhere just with this boom, 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 boom. And I said, I didn't even think about it. I just said, that guy. I said, what? I said, that guy, give me that guy. And that guy's, he's right across from me right now. He's, he's been with us now for six and a half years, uh, bandit. So um, yeah, it's just something that understanding the love the dogs bring and the unconditional love and just their being there for you is such a comforting thing and a fun thing. And um, again, also knowing that you're, you know, you're helping out. I, I wouldn't want to think of where bandit would be if the SPCA didn't rescue him. He came out from Virginia and um yeah i don't even know his complete backstory other than obviously they they picked him up somewhere either from the side of the road or something i don't know or from a house somewhere and uh yeah so we got uh bandit here with us now and two dogs two uh two doggy portrait tattoos so if i get another one i'm gonna have to find another place for the next tat i don't know but good for you guys having pets i mean pets are awesome right i mean there were there, are especially, I don't know. What do you guys have? Dogs, cats,
2: reptiles? I got two dogs, uh, bull shelter. They're both, they're amazing. Yeah.
4: Oh,
3: awesome.
1: I, I, I have a cat, but he was rescued off the side. Cats of the are
4: awesome too. <laughs> I met, um, at one point in my life I had, so I, it was just me. I had a dog. Then I met a girl in Toronto and she had a dog and three cats. So then that turned in from me having a dog to having then a dog, two dogs, three cats and a new girlfriend. So it was a busy time. It was a very busy time in life. Yeah. What do you got, Ian? You got a pet too?
0: I don't have a pet yet. Um, I'm actually not in my apartment at the moment. I'm away for work. Um, But when I get back after this month long excursion, I'm going straight to the shelter. I'm going to find uh, the, good for find you. The I mean, you don't have to because we're
4: talking about it, but No, no, no it's, yeah.
0: it's been the plan for a while, so. He
4: has been talking about He's been it. He's been talking, yeah. 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 Well, I can hear actually Bandit's barking in the background now. So <laughs> Bandit <laughs> just had ACL surgery actually. He tore his ACL chasing after deer and uh squirrels and everything out in the backyard here in the South Town. so um we have the forest is up in our our backyard. It's a very tiny backyard and then the forest is some of our property, which is really neat, but every time you let the dogs outside, and we have two of them, they smelled or well, right now they smell the deer right then so they just want to tear off after so he tore his acl so he just had surgery two weeks ago and he's had the cone on for two weeks and he is not a happy man oh, he no, is not no. a happy man a of shame. the cone of shame yeah
2: <laughs> yeah for anybody out there listening who maybe uh doesn't know how to help where where would you kind of lead them to to help with the spca and get involved you know
4: well, I mean, depending where you live, I would just reach out to your local shelter, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, in Buffalo, uh, you've got the SPCA, um, you know, the Erie County SPCA, uh, or who we dealt with. Um, Gina out there is someone that we talked to. I just saw recently they have postings for not only volunteer spots, but they have jobs available, too. Um, you know, and it's funny, I often think about if you didn't, if I didn't have this job, which is the most amazing job to get paid to describe a hockey game um, or any supporting event for that matter, I would probably want to work with shelter animals for just everything that you can, you know, it would break your heart sometimes for sure. Um, and then at the same time, just the, all the love and the good you could do working there is what I would do. So contact your local shelter. That's the easiest thing that I would suggest. Awesome. Absolutely. I have, question, I have a question for you guys. Am I allowed to do that on the show? Oh
0: yeah, of course. Sure.
4: All right. For it, so yeah. I'm going to start with Joe because I'm just, I don't want to go in any particular order there. All right. So I'm the new guy in town. Uh, what's over your left shoulder. It looks like some kind of Alexander Jersey or something there. What is that?
1: Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> I live in Oklahoma city right now. Okay. So that is uh thunder player. Shea Gilchrist Alexander and then in the middle I have Chris Drury. I've heard of that guy. And then classic Josh Allen. <laughs> yes,
4: and Josh Allen. So what's uh, <laughs> Joe, what are you looking to, what, what's your um you know what's your what's your dream job?
1: Honestly, probably do what you do. Yeah. Very envy.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um but ugh, that's a tough question, but yeah, honestly just well, your no, you job. just
4: answered it. And you know what? Here's the thing about the United States of America. And more so than Canada. And I see it because I still keep an eye on the landscape of, of what I do for a living. I think it's something you do. It's not, I'm never looking for work, but I'm always interested. Where's the, where's the business at? Where's the industry at? But I constantly see job openings uh, for people looking to get involved in so many different kinds of leagues, whether it be baseball, football, hockey, there's so many different levels, um, you know, NCAA, doesn't matter the division. Uh, I mean, I'm ESPN has tag on every night, so like there's stuff to call, guys. Right? There's stuff to call, um, and there's some other game that's on ESPN every night too. And I'm not trashing ESPN for this. It's like spike ball or something. Is that right? Spike oh, ball. Yeah. Did I get spike that right?
1: Ball. I've
0: seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Spike ball is yeah, fun fine. to play too. That's
1: live on
3: ESPN.
4: Yeah, it might be fun to play, but I don't know about watching on TV for two hours. That's yeah, my I thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, know about again, that. Again,
4: I, I, you know, if the ESPN calls and says, "Look, we want to hire you to call spike ball," I'm probably, I'm not know, gonna say no. <laughs> how much are you paying me? You know, I'll say, "Call Joe." Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Joe, don't. uh Yeah, don't think it's an unattainable thing. That's. uh I, You know, I think most people that are in my shoes would tell you, if, if I can sit here and say I've had this opportunity, trust me, there's no rocket science or brain surgeon talking to you tonight. All right, let's go to Ian next. Ian, you're not home. You're away from home somewhere, and you've got the perfect green headsets going on there. So what... uh and the good Sabers hat too, right? That's one oh, yeah. of the classics.
0: That's my favorite logo right there, the Buffalo Slug. It, it gets a lot is of that, hate, the, but it, it's I think it's the best unpopular one.
4: Unpopular opinion. The Buffalo Slug, right? Yeah. Um, well, there was a lot of. I thought at one point last year we might have gone to the red and black and white jerseys again.
1: I was watching that all year on Twitter. Yeah, that's just waiting for them to announce the hat. Yeah.
4: So what's what's the
0: billion? The goal, um, yeah. well, right now I'm working on a, a master's in higher education administration at uh university of Louisville. Um, I'm doing a program, nice. um, through the United States army, which I'm, I'm a service member, um, so yeah, I, right now I'm, I'm, my primary position is as an instructor for ROTC cadets at West Virginia state university. So I'm here getting my certification and, and credit towards my master's, uh, before I go back there and meet the cadets coming back from summer. Uh long term goals, I, I mean, I I have a great life right now, courtesy of the army, and, and I don't think I'd really trade that for much. Um obviously if you know things had been able to shake out differently and I could have, you know, broken into the, the sports world somehow, which again, you know, later in life still might be an option, but I, I'm I'm proud of what I do now and and I would gladly stick with it.
4: Yeah, well proud of you too. I don't know you, but everything you mentioned there is uh, really awesome. Good for you. And obviously, uh even as a Canadian who's now living in this country, you know, thanks for your service. You. And Cameron, I can't see you yet because you need a new camera.
2: Yeah, need a new camera. Yeah,
4: that's fine. <laughs> so good. I was late to the show and I just figured out how to work mine. So, what, uh, Cameron, what's your story and, and what's your goal?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, right now I'm working on getting my bachelor's in uh, IT, going okay. into cloud computing. Yeah. It's a very good industry to get into for the future, I feel like. And, yeah. you know, life's good right now. I'm getting married in October. That's very exciting for me. It's, Well, all I got going on right now is just getting, trying (laughs) to get into IT and planning a wedding. Yeah, it's a lot.
4: All right, well, listen, congratulations on that. And here's a true story. My father, who passed away a few years ago, um, when I was in high school, I guess, and he and I really didn't get along much and just doing that teenage thing, he did say to me many times, and you guys will laugh at this, you know, he'd say, so what are you going to do? And in my high school yearbook, it says to be a cameraman at the Super Bowl because I would sit at home and watch the NFL and think someone's getting paid to run the camera, which is basically watching a football game. And that is their, that's their livelihood. I want that job. So, um, dad would kind of, you know, he wouldn't laugh at that. He would just say, yeah, but what do you want to do for a real job? And he looked at me and he would say every week, he says, you know what kid, if I were you, they got this thing out called a computer. If I were you, I would get into this computer thing because I think it's going to be big. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) And I'm not 150 years old. My dad would say, you should get into this computer stuff because I think it's going to go somewhere. And dad was a fireman. He didn't, you know, again, not a rocket scientist, but he was a smart guy in his own kind of street sense thing, right? Um, But dad was a Toronto firefighter. And yeah, every week he would tell me, I don't know. Something about this computer thing that I think is going to take off. And I thought, yeah, whatever. And I took a computer course in high school and it just, I don't know, it didn't bore me, but I just thought, oh, I don't know. I don't think I'm a right program kind of guy. I think, get me to the Super Bowl. That's what I want.
3: Get me to the Super so, Bowl. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> so maybe if the Bills get there, I'll find a way.
0: Yeah, this year, right?
4: Yeah.
3: This
4: year. hundred <laughs> percent. Josh Allen all the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know who's had more of an impact on a a city or a town or a fan base than number 17. Nobody in a long in a long time, yeah. if maybe ever, just for the way his personality has been, um, you know, so magnetic. I mean, I don't know how you're not drawn to just a guy who's smiling, having fun, and is so confident every time he goes to work. I love it. I've, really? I've we've been waiting for that to seep into the Sabres, right? And it's it's kind of there, it's kind of there now, so um. Hopefully that carries over what the the team did from the last two months last year into the first two months of this year and onward because um, that kind of confidence is kind of getting into guys like uh, Rasmus Dahlin and Tage Thompson. We'll see where they grow from here, as they say.
0: Absolutely. And a great transition, Dan, um, because we do want to talk to you about the savers. Um, Before we get specifically into the savers, the last couple of weeks uh, in the NHL have been quite a flurry between the draft, trades, free agency. Has there been a move that has really stood out to you? Um, what, what do you think has been the most shocking thing that's happened so far this offseason?
4: Well, I don't know about shocking, but interesting, obviously, was the Johnny Goudreau. Um, I love Columbus. Uh, I was texting back and forth with some people in Columbus who were um, close to the Blue Jackets and cover them on a daily basis. And they were getting quite perturbed, I guess. I didn't see the national opinion of i guess there was a lot of why would you go to columbus instead of taking the money here or whatever and i listen it's part of the game right i understand it but in all honesty i love columbus i can't wait to go there when we go there um i enjoy the city i enjoy the rink uh, obviously you don't like it when the cannon goes off because it means the other team's scored <laughs> on you but um i i really enjoy my time there so i'm not surprised that, uh, he went, well, I'm not shocked that he went there. I guess everyone's a little bit surprised when athletes leave any kind of money on the table, but you know, the one thing that you do find out pretty quickly when you do this long enough is that, you know, it's like, same thing. If you meet a rock star, and you wind up hanging out with them, they're just people. Uh, and those people have different needs and wishes too. And it's not always just about you. It can be about your family, um, or it can be about, um, you know, something else within the organization. So, you know, Matt Murray, for example, decides that Buffalo is not a place he wants to go. I don't know that had anything to do with the city of Buffalo. It could have had to do with something else. And he has every right to say, "Uh, not quite the best fit for me. Just the same way all four of us would have the right to say, yeah, you know, uh, it's not quite the right fit for me. And it doesn't mean you're slagging a city. Um, it, It could be any other number of factors that weighed in there. But as a fan, you can't wait for him to come to town wearing a Leaf jersey because you can boom even louder, right? So that's the fun fun part (laughs) about being a fan. Um, So, But I'd I'd say that one is probably uh, what was the most surprising. And then um, everything Detroit and Ottawa did was really interesting. That's for sure. Uh, We knew that the Sabres were close and on par. When I say we, you know, Razor and I, we would talk after every game and we'll kind of talk about where the team was at that night and what the opponent looked like. And every time that we'd play the Red Wings, we were very impressed. Uh, And you knew that they were on their way to figuring things out with uh, their recent rookies that have done extremely well and they're fun to watch. And then Ottawa was just a team that if they got another couple of players who had some experience and settle things down a little bit to go with some of the young feistiness that they've got in that group as well. And with the coaching that they have, they're going to be a no nonsense, really work hard in your face team. And now they've got some veteran leadership on that club too. So, um, I think, uh, obviously Johnny Goodrow and then those two teams were the, the highlights for me anyway. Um, And then everybody thinks Boston and Pittsburgh are going to fall off the the edge of the cliff every year. That never happens. So (laughs) I'm more the believer that until it happens, I don't believe it's going to happen. And when it does happen, it's going to be good news for us. Right. So, but until it happens, I, I don't see it coming yet.
0: Yeah. We'll keep holding our breath. Speaking of us, (laughs) um, so Paul Hamilton, uh, was on after the whistle with Andrew Peters and Craig Revet talking about a conversation he had with Kevin Adams, um, Kevin Adams alluded that he was not willing to give out a long-term contract to a goalie um so paul mm-hmm. re- uh, countered with a two to three year contract and even at the three-year mark he seemed pretty iffy it's very clear that he has uh, a lot of confidence into the three young goalies in the system uka Pekka Lukonen, eric portillo and devon lee uh <laughs> devon levy oh excuse me for that one <laughs> um, <laughs> they had
4: levi right the first time
0: right yeah, yeah. um so what can you talk about? Like, Who do you think is the front runner among those three to sort of take in, you know, to, to be the future of the Sabres? Because obviously we have, you know, Craig Anderson one more year. Eric Comrie signed a two-year deal that seems more like a transition deal. Um, is Uka Pekalukunen going to get the chance next year to show that he can put together what he's capable of for a full NHL season? Or do you think he's leaning more towards Devin and Rick for Eric? So, um uh,
4: recently, there was an announcement involving Ryan Miller and the Buffalo Sabres. And off of that announcement, there was some really good writing and articles just reminding us of Ryan Miller's path to the National Hockey League and the Buffalo Sabres and the number of years that he was developed in before he got his opportunity and obviously took it and ran with it. And that story is something I think, is something that should stick with people in this phase for the Sabres. And I say that for this reason. To me, it certainly appears now training camp hasn't happened yet. Everyone's as of today, nobody's injured and no one's, you know, missing any games, uh, but it would appear that Comrie and Anderson are going to be the two guys. Um, to me, I, this is just my view. Um, Comrie is a good goaltender uh, to me. I make out Comrie to be Dustin Tokarski at the beginning of his career, getting the opportunity way before Dustin eventually got his opportunity. That being said, what do you mean, Dunleavy? Well, Dustin Tokarski is a guy that I remember seeing during the World Junior Hockey Championships and a very good goaltender coming into the game, but he got himself in a position behind goaltenders that he was never going to to supplant and, and get an opportunity to play. So he never really found himself in a situation or position where he was able to play regularly enough to become probably the best version of Dustin Tokarski he could have been. Because I think we can all admit that Dustin Tokarski is one heck of a battler. Uh, He did his best to keep the Sabres in a number of games. And then there were nights where, for various reasons, whether it be Dustin or teammates in front of him, that it just wasn't enough, right? So, um, but it's enough that he found another job. I mean, he's still in the National Hockey League. And I I would always say to people who would kind of Get on, Dustin. i think the guy's in the NHL. He's an NHL goaltender. He's proven it. I mean, he's he's made some some saves here that have kept the Sabers in the game. That's what you want an NHL goaltender to do. We're not having a Stanley Cup winning conversation here. So, for me, Eric Comrie, when you look at the number of games, what is it, 28? I think he's played in the in the National League at this point in his career, 28 or 48. One of those two numbers. I think Eric has 28.
0: played 28 career games over yeah, six so years. So,
4: 28 career wow. games. And his numbers aren't terrible, and he's played again behind some good goaltenders that he's just not been given enough of an opportunity to kind of run with it. So, to me, he fits the mold of everything else the Sabres are doing with the guys that are already on the roster, out proving themselves at a stage in their careers where they're able to do that, where they still have enough road ahead of them that if, if Connor goes out and plays lights out over the course of this contract and he turns out to be the guy, um, then, you know, the whole ukopeka Lukanen thing turns into another year of development in Rochester. And I don't think that's the end of the world. A lot of players come out of the Ontario Hockey League or whatever league they're playing in and they win goalie of the year honors. They get to the NHL and they still have trouble figuring it out on a night-to-night basis, year after year after year. Carter Hart in Philadelphia comes in, you know, blazing, and then all of a sudden he's trying to figure it out. So we always want to rush success when you're talking about sports. And I think particularly when you're looking at goaltenders who, the good news is, aren't starting pitchers, so they're not burning their shoulders or arms out. Uh, They're playing goal. And for me, I think this year you'll see Comrie and Anderson again, uh, someone along the way, I hope this isn't true, but usually somebody misses a couple of games for whatever reason. Injuries or illness or what have you, and that could be a moment where UPL gets you know a call up um, to play with the Sabers. Now, I, I think that's the perfect world we're looking at: is give him another full year to develop and just absolutely own it at the American Hockey League level, like leave no doubt in the Sabers' mind that he is indeed the next guy when he steps in. Now, that could happen sooner than I'm mentioning. It could happen in camp. He can come to camp and win every game and just look incredible. And leave the Sabers no choice but to say we can't send this guy down. He's clearly the best of every goaltender we've got here. And then you got to figure that out, right? Contracts get in the way, business gets in the way, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think there's, I think the Sabers have created time for Ukelpekalukin to maybe have another full year of development and not worry about it. Devin Levi, man, that that young guy was impressing at uh, obviously impressing at development camp. He was impressive last year. Uh, playing in college hockey and winning goaltender of the year. And then Eric Portillo looked lights out as well at uh, the Sabres development camp, and he was lights out in Michigan. So it's nice to have a plenty at that position for Buffalo. Uh, it's been a while, right, since they've had this much potential. And yeah. I understand the last two guys I mentioned have decisions to make in going into final years of college hockey. But in listening to Devin Levi's response to that at development camp, I was really impressed with how he put it. And he said, look, he's played an extra year everywhere he's been. When people have thought he should move up, he says, no, I'm going to stay here. And that reminded me a lot of my own career when people forever would be saying, look, you should be at the fan in Toronto. When I was in Orangeville, people were saying, you should be there. I mean, that's your sports job. Go do it. And I remember saying to myself, no, I've, I've got too much opportunity here to do too many things that I've never done before. And I need to do them before I make that step just so I A, understand the, the the totality of the business and B, you got to have a plan B in life. I mean, it can't just be plan A. And I think, you know, Ian, you brought that up with you really enjoying your, your, your plan right now, whether it was A, B or C, it sounds like it was your plan A. Um, and, you know, I think everybody here, when I ask the questions about what do you want to do, everyone kind of has a plan A, but you're good with your plan B too, which is important. So, um, you know, to me, Devin Levi seems like, no, give me that. I'm going to take this year to develop because it's it's something that's available to me. And then when it's time to sign an NHL contract, I'll sign it, and then I'll handle the pressures that come with that. Then, so I like that from him. I like him as a goaltender too. Boy, he looked really good. Um Yeah, you so see that Stevie mid. Yeah. So, so to us, just doing the stream, right? Which is a very casual call. You're not really trying to do too much with it. You're letting just the picture tell the story. And just Brian and Marty and I were chatting about different things, but in that moment. So, we're on the opposite side of where that puck um, was saved by Takarski. So, we thought it was in. When Quinn made the move, I thought it was in. We just kind of looked at each other. Well, wow, that was a nice goal by Quinn. And then Marty jumped in. He said, No, it didn't go in. And we just all had our reaction to, Are you kidding me? I mean, he pretzeled himself right into the ice. How did he make that save? You could hear his edge cut into the ice from where we were sitting as he was just kind of stumbling backwards. That's a save. That's a save I would make on purpose because I can't stand up, right? He. He's way better on his blades than that, but he kind of caught an edge and, and went for a tumble. But, yeah, that was a good one. So, um, yeah, so, you know, Comrie and, and Anderson, I think, I'm guessing. And um, and then ukopaka and just be ready for when the call comes up and in the meantime dominate in Rochester. Again, unless they all get to camp and ukopaka goes perfect in the opportunities he gets in preseason and then the Sabres are saying, now what do we do? But it's a nice now what do we do to have because it's it's been a while.
0: Absolutely. Um, And so now we got kind of a two-pronged question here. So I'm going to give you a story um, relating to a conversation that Joey and I had regarding the Sabres as an organization. And he's going to kind of take that into where the locker room might be at. So when when the Anderson signing first came down, uh, Joey and I started talking and and I made the point that clearly Kevin Adams didn't know what Craig Anderson wanted to do this offseason, whether or not he was going to play another year or if he was going to retire. But he absolutely told him, if you want to come back, we're your team. There's a year contract sitting here waiting for you uh, so that you can play hockey with us. Um, I think it's a great signing. Not only will Craig Anderson be a great personality in the locker room, he'll be a great uh, mentor for the younger goaltenders. But I think, if anything, this is a message to the rest of the NHL that the Buffalo Sabres are an organization that's on the up and that we're willing to take care of the players that take care of this organization. Like, we We are going to take care of our own. Uh, and so Joey, you want to transition to what you were, um, want to talk about there.
1: It just seems like Donnie Granato, who I'm a huge fan of love that they kept him as the permanent coach, Kevin Adams, that there's a culture being built in Buffalo that really, at least in my opinion, hasn't been there in the last um, 10 years. Right. Um, and now people are starting to buy into an example, Kevin, um, Craig Anderson coming back. Um, players buying into it. Alex Tuck seems like he's all in with the Sabres, and Kyle Oposo, great leader. So from the, the locker room or team perspective, does it seem like that culture is starting to shift where people are starting to buy into the system and they want to be in Buffalo?
4: A hundred percent. Now, uh, obviously, since COVID struck, we've kind of not been in that locker room, which has been, um, uh, in our role, it's been different. It's been tougher to get a read on certain things. It's been, thankfully, a little bit easier than tougher to get a read on things because there's been some success amongst this group. So, um, starting with the Anderson um, point of view, 100% correct. His effect on the locker room, although again, I will admit, we're not in situations as broadcasters, even if we were allowed in the room for the most part, to get too far behind the scenes and see how the interaction from anderson with player x really if might affect someone's mentality or approach to a game or approach to how they look after themselves away from the rink which is probably even more important right because they they could all play but what do you do when you're away from the rink because that usually is what dictates whether you're having success on a daily basis at the rink or not because all the guys can play they're in the nhl they they didn't get there by accident nobody did them any favors um even if they're the son of somebody who played in the game, if they were terrible, they wouldn't be there. they just like, who's going to draft them? No one's going to draft them. So they're there. They're good players. Um, then you you need to surround these good players with good people, quite honestly. Um, and at the end of the day, I think there's, you know, it was brought up earlier there about the decade. Uh, I thought you were going to blame me and I'm glad you didn't because this is my 10th year and, you know, Ray, Razor does bring it up. You know, ever since you got here, Dunleavy. <laughs> so, um, it it there has been a lot of um, there been a lot of different uh, bingo. You guys know what bingo is, yeah. A lot of bingo balls in play. There's a lot of balls bouncing around, right? There's not a lot of consistency that's been around for the last ten years. So, when Kevin Adams was brought on board, um, his personality and his understanding of his plan and what he wants to do, and just the way he treats people. Is all about consistency. Treat everybody the same way. Include everybody uh, to the same level of how they're valued within the organization. Don Granado, exact same kind of mentality uh, as a teacher, as someone who can motivate you, as someone who you can just go talk to and say, um, "Hey, Don, want to go have lunch and just kind of talk?" He's genuinely interested in in other people's lives and how um, their career got them to where they are. I mean, it's it's not fake. I can tell you that and. Uh, I've certainly been around enough coaches and managers who will not say two words to you all year until they hear that they might be fired soon. And then all of a sudden you're their best friend because they're looking for an ally. That's just the way it works. Um, so what the Sabres have going for them now is stability in, um, in people like, uh, you know, it starts obviously with the ownership and it starts with Kevin Adams. And that was questioned by a lot of people, but if you didn't know Kevin Adams, um, I can maybe understand the questioning, but for those of us who've known Kevin since his playing days and people who've known Kevin before that, even um, there was, this was a no brainer as far as look, we need to calm things down here. We need someone who's going to put a plan in place. Who's going to stick to it. Who's not going to be intimidated to rush anything. And then we got to find the right coach here. We got to find the right guy, the right personality. Well, he was right there at Don Granato. Uh, and Kevin had a real sense of that and he you know, interim to head coach full-time. It really was the right decision as we're finding out for this group from many different ways. So Craig Anderson comes on board. He plays his year and he plays as many games as he can when he's healthy to do so. And to your point, you're right. He could have walked. He could have A, ended his career, or B, probably after the goalie carousel that we saw this past season, he probably could have signed a one-year deal anywhere he wanted where other teams are looking for goaltenders because he proved that he could still play and uh, if anything that is valued in hockey at any position is an experience and goal, you know you, you're not hiring someone probably at that stage of their career to go out and play 60 games and win you a Stanley Cup, but you want someone that can do exactly what the Sabers want Craig Anderson to do. So Craig decides that this is where he wants to be, and that's everything that Kevin has said, and um, that even that has you know sometimes will rub people the wrong way, but it's you have to understand the context that is being said. Kevin just doesn't want to take anybody who wants to be in Buffalo. He wants to take the right people and the right players to be in Buffalo, and Craig Anderson happens to be that guy. I witnessed it in the hallway sometimes, watching Craig interact with uh, new teammates when trades were made and people were brought in and just watched it kind of organically be right. It was just a fit. Uh, I've seen him interact with the younger players, and he just has this demeanor about him that kind of instills this calm confidence in young guys. And again, I can't speak to any specifics cause I'm not there, but I can't help, but think that someone like Rasmus Darlene and they may, may, have never talked. I don't know. Aside from whatever they say to one another, but um, that kind of calm confidence when it gets into the room um, and is in your ear, when things are going, maybe not the way they should, or even when they're going good, just to kind of dial you back a little bit. I think that's what Anderson is all about. And then that just, you know, that, that kind of bleeds through the room. It really does because uh, Craig Anderson just made someone in the room feel good and then that person's going to just talk about what a great guy Craig Anderson is and then another guy's going to want to have a conversation with a Craig Anderson and pick his brain about certain things. And then you start acquiring other players like Alex Tuck who uh, you know has already been in the league and had some success uh, in Vegas and he comes in and he's a great human being and a great individual and now it's not all on Craig's shoulder. Now he's got Alex Tuck to help him out a little bit. You mentioned Kyle Pozo. Another no-brainer. People always fixated on the six mil and the lack of numbers as far as goals scored and stuff. And then, listen, Kyle understands that. I understand that. I'm not going to speak for Kyle, but that's the business, right? But the one thing that um, being around him for his entire stay here, talk about incredible, fierce competitors who are also guys that you would literally go to battle for any day is Kyle Opozo, and that's just coming from even a broadcaster where moments that he and I have had to talk in private, just in the hallway, just kind of shooting the breeze. It's like, hey, give me a pair of shoulder pads and blades. Let's go. I mean, I'd play with this this guy any day. Um, So all those things are what matter. And then the Sabres have managed to bide their time, and now they've stocked the cupboards, as you know, with talent, and it's very young talent. So what do you need? You need all three of those guys here right now. You need them, and that's why they're still here. And they're going to play an, a vital role in taking guys like Darlene and the rest of the young crew, the Dylan cousins and the Peyton Krebs. They're going to guide their psyches to the next level of their own individual confidence. Um, and uh, without them, I don't think the Sabres would have any of this success going forward that we hope they're going to have. So I, for one, I'm glad all, you know, all those kind of veteran guys are here because they're just salt of the earth people. And as I said, Fierce competitors. That matters too. Like, let's not just bring in nice guys because they're nice guys. They're fierce competitors.
0: Absolutely. You know, um, you're talking about building this better culture in Buffalo now. Um, finding the right people for the team that want to be here. Yep. Is Patrick Kane ever going to be one of the right people? Will we bring Patrick Kane home?
4: <laughs> That's the question that just never goes away, right? Um, I will be very honest with you. I have met Patrick Kane on a personal level. Probably never. On okay. a hockey level, of course, I run into him in a locker room. I met his um, I met his, his father at the rink in Chicago, where we were there at a morning skate. Talked to him for quite some time. He was very nice to me. Um, I take everything on a, you know, kind of a person-to-person basis as far as how people treat me, and I, I treat them back with the same respect and honor that they share with me, so. Um, but as far as the hockey player, Patrick Kane, um, is, is it the type of player you'd want to see in Buffalo if you're a fan well of course you do I mean who doesn't want to see uh, arguably the best U.S. hockey player ever wear a Buffalo Sabres jersey is the time and the place right for Patrick Kane is the time and place right for the Sabres management to make that call it's not just a one-way thing right even if even if let's just let's play for fun if the the Sabres hockey department was to say hey yeah we want him here we want him here tomorrow because we think he might be available. Um you know you still have to get a read on well where's where's Patrick's mind at is he want to go win another cup this year and next year um does is he okay with what our plan is because again as I talked about and Kevin has reiterated many times he's not going to stray from the plan right and uh the bills have had success with that the bills obviously can add talent into the lineup a little bit quicker with the way the NFL draft works compared to the the hockey uh, draft. But um, that being said, the Sabres ha- do have um, a number of very young, talented hockey players now. We just saw them at development camp. I mean, there's some guys that are just lights out good. Uh, when their time is in the NHL, we don't know yet, but it's coming. I mean, there's no, a lot of times you'll watch development camp and you'll pick maybe one or two guys. But this time we're looking around thinking, like even Jake, Rich- uh, Jake Richard, this kid from Muskegon, 17 years old. He doesn't turn 18 until August. And in the three on three tournament, he's a sixth round pick. He was carrying the puck like he owned it. And he was going to the net all the time. You're like, who's this kid? And um, I messaged somebody I know with the uh, Muskegon Lumberjack team in the USHL and just got glowing reviews about how good he is. So there's a sixth round pick that may or may not ever pan out. But what my point is is that the Sabres closet is looking pretty good as far as adding a lot of up and coming talent. So when you're talking about adding guys at, you know, like Patrick, it it really, I think a lot of the times it comes down to whether it is the right fit for, for both, instead of just, you know, you you could look down the highway at Toronto and look at how they've kind of plugged holes in their roster with guys who have experience and they kind of have this feel that they need to win the cup this year. You know, that was their feeling last year and that's probably going to be their feeling this year. And we got to do it before Austin Matthews situation comes up or whatever they're thinking about. Um, so, there's different team dynamics that come into play everywhere. Um so i wouldn't I wouldn't hedge a bet either way because I don't know. I don't know what Patrick's thinking. Um, there could be all sorts of reports and stories. But until you until personally, this goes back to being the news guy, right? Um, I'm not going to take everybody else's word for it that says Patrick Kane wants to go anywhere until Patrick Kane tells me. other than that, it's just another story I'm reading
0: fair enough, yeah. And I, I think Toronto, they're more concerned with getting out of the first round than they are winning a Stanley Cup at this point.
4: <laughs> yeah, and we'd like to get to the first round.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> right,
4: I mean everything in perspective. I listen. I am not making. I am not sticking up for him. I am just saying. Uh, I like, know. Yeah, like, yeah, Sabres fans, let's let's get to the first round. So, and there is some work to do there, but it's it's going the right way.
2: Yeah. So, kind of transitioning the conversation a little bit more back to you, Dan. Uh, do you have a uh, do you have a favorite NHL city to visit on the road? Montreal. Like Montreal. Montreal. Why
4: Montreal? Yeah, favorite place to call a game. Just to locate the broadcast booth, the city. I mean, you saw it at the draft, if you watched the draft. It, yep. it is... Listen, everyone loves hockey. If you're a hockey fan in Buffalo, it's a religion to you, too, right? I mean, you go back to uh, all the, the stars of the game that have come through the odd. All of them. <laughs> and there have been a number of them. And the storylines and uh, I mean, all the highlights that have been there, despite the disappointments in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals. But just the memories that have been built in buffalo and then you go to montreal and it it literally is like going to church there and when you go to a game i remember the first time i walked in i didn't get to the forum that's it's unfortunate obviously for me personally but i never got to the montreal forum uh, i didn't have reason to in my career yet and it just never worked out but the first time i ever went to a game i remember when i walked i think all three for all four of us can remember and all of your your viewers or listeners can remember the first time they walked into an NHL rink and saw the lights on and saw the bowl and just kind of got goosebumps and thought, wow, this is crazy cool. So I'd been to hockey rinks and NHL rinks before, but I'd never been to Montreal. And I remember walking through this, we took a train, um, and it was Toronto playing Montreal. And there were a bunch of us that went down on a train together as part of the radio station, uh, radio station promotion. And Glenn Goldup who played in Montreal was working with us at the fan in Toronto. So he was kind of captaining this, this parade down. And I just remember walking into this box area and then looking out of the ice service. And I'll, I, it's funny. I'll never forget that moment. This is, I'll never forget the first time in the yard too. I was sitting up with the oranges and watching it was Buffalo, Montreal. And you know, those are things that you don't forget, but for us and what we do broadcasters without speaking for RJ, but I can speak probably for him in this As far as the location, when you sit in Montreal and the microphone is right here, the way I'm looking down right now, the game is right there. I mean, it is right below you. It is the best feeling ever. You can just hover over the game. Danny Gallivan, one of my favorites of all time, play by play for the Montreal Canadiens. He had this sense that he was hovering over the game. And obviously the gondolas back in the old buildings were more prevalent than they were in the new buildings where the media and everyone got pushed back to the heavens. So, um, Montreal, when they built the building, uh, Bob Cole tells this story, former Hockey Night Canada broadcaster. He told us that, you know, he was asked by the team president of the Canadians any input that he had when it came to building the media box. And Bob said, I told him, just build a gondola, make sure I'm hanging over the game, make sure I can see the game can feel the game. And then the city of Montreal is just, you know, um, it's a fun place to go out. It's a fun place to have dinner. Um, it's it's a neat spot it's it's not too far to go there's other cities that are really cool I mean Vegas is just an unbelievable show um so you know it's it's hard to top Vegas for the show and uh I love them all though I really have, I missed so much not traveling for the last couple of years really did uh, just literally broke my heart not being at the games because you just being there you can feel it so much better than just you know calling it uh as a remote broadcast um but things change and um you know you kind of you work you still work your job to the best of your ability uh and deal with those challenges but um yeah montreal would be number one i'm trying to think if there's a number two detroit built a gondola in their new building uh at the little caesars which is it's a really nice building it's really cool so you're kind of hanging over that one too that's a nice spot
0: so, uh, have you bonded at all with, uh, Craig Rive? I know old man river came up through Montreal and he's a big yeah. fan of the city as well.
4: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know, Craig, should I say we've bonded? Have we bonded Craig Rive? Have we bonded? Craig, I'm looking at you. Have we bonded? Um, I love, I love Rivs. Um, I never call people by their nicknames because I, I didn't play and I kind of have that, uh, I will never do it on the air. It's something I won't do. Other people do, and that's fine. It's just something I think If To me, I'm kind of old school that way. If you didn't play the game, then, you know, you're not in the locker room. It's it's Craig Rivet for me. Uh, but I call him rivs to have fun there. Uh, no, listen, um, love Craig. Uh, love Andrew a lot. And, uh, you know, they're obviously the, the show the instigators turning over to after the whistle. Um, real hockey stories. I mean, and right to the gut hockey stories, too. They're not pulling any punches. And uh, a lot of times, those stories need to be told in a certain manner, and I think they do a great job at doing that. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm good with uh, I'm good with Craig. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good. You guys all get. He's a not lot.
4: anybody's uncle or anything like that, is he?
1: No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, no. <laughs> I'm just a big fan
0: of their show. Is all.
4: Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good show. They do a great job.
1: Well, the backtrack. You said you've been with the Sabres for ten years. Again, not a lot of success in the last decade, but. What was your favorite moment being a, a broadcaster of the Sabres so far?
4: First game I called, um, you know, the, the first one I called that I ever with the team, I'll never forget. As I mentioned, that was in Anaheim, but just the first time I had a chance to, I mean, I was working with Harry Neal. That was the part I had to pinch myself and, and just say, is this actually happening right now? i this is Harry Neal. This is hockey night in Canada. This is the guy. Um, and then I always remember flying home from the first game I called, and uh, Ted Black was the president of the team at the time, and um, I'm told that he got in touch with someone on the team and he said make sure Dan gets a puck to commemorate his first game. So I actually have a puck; it's somewhere, it's somewhere here, and it's um, it's my first uh, full time. Um, since the other one was like uh, kind of like an audition, I guess with Harry, but my first full-time game as an employee of the Buffalo Sabres, um, they can, one of the trainers came back on the plane and gave me a game puck. So that was pretty cool. Never forget that.
0: So in calling games, do you kind of remember the things that you're saying on air? Like, is there any like moment that stands out of a call that you think was, you know, like your greatest hit so far?
4: Um, I know which one I think wasn't, and I just heard it recently.
0: Oh boy, let's hear it. It's,
4: it's funny. Well, no. And it was a big one, right? Alex Tuck scores the goal against Vegas. It kind of seals yep. the deal. You try not in this job to listen back too much because you can't take it back. It's out there. Um, But I, I did hear the call, Tuck like a truck. And I thought, okay, you know what? Some rhymes are going to work and some rhymes are not going to work. <laughs> so, um, you know, for example, Tic Tac Tuck, that one worked. And that came out of nowhere. That was not a planned one. That was a... Just a one, two, three pass instead of a you know, great passing. I just went tick tack talk and they score and it, it people kind of thought, okay, that one's okay. Um but you also can't get hung up too much in what other people think about it. You just gotta you'll know if you hit or miss with some. And you you do swing sometimes. I'll admit sometimes I might swing too many times and just need to take a pitch or two. But uh, this is a creative industry. You stop trying to be creative, then why are you here? Is kind of what I'm thinking. Um but there was uh I don't know. It, I get it. Like you said earlier, you know, it's it's not been 10 years of glory. So I, I hesitate making it about me in this moment. But because you asked the question, there was a game against San Jose in Buffalo that the Sabres came back against the Sharks. I remember that game. Yeah. And uh, it turned out there was a two on one with uh, no longer Sabres, Jack Eichel, and Evander Kane. And that was an Eichel carries, Kane berries. And that came out of nowhere, too. It was just, uh, but I actually had some. Um, very people that I greatly respect who've been in the business for a long time in other markets and, and specifically in Toronto, um, shouting out and just saying, Hey, that was a great call. And, uh, I think RJ might've on that one too. RJ sent me, he's texted me a couple of times after certain games and said, you know, good call on that one. So, um, you know, those are moments too, you get a text from RJ, which, um, don't come every night. And he says, you just, that was a nice call on the winner. That, uh, that's stuff that you remember always. So, um, that's a lot of respect shown from a hall of famer that those are things I'll take, uh, no matter how long this gig lasts, which I hope I hope it's got a few legs in it for a number of years here And the Stanley cup is my plan. Um, I remember saying to uh, our owner, Mr. Bagula, a couple of years back, I said, I really, honestly, I'm telling you, I mean, I came here to call a Stanley cup final and it's going to happen and we're going to win it. So, um, I really believe that. And I think we've got the start of it. You know, we're at the start. Let's remember that we're at the start, but we're finally at the start. So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan, I just want to thank you. You've been extremely gracious with your time. Um, this has been an absolute highlight of all of our, you know, lives being able to interview someone as, as, you know, prestigious as you. As boring.
4: Um, Come on now.
0: No, you've been yeah, excellent. You've got great off. stories. Kind of great. I, yeah, I, I think our listeners it. are really going to love this. Um, I just want to say thank you one more time. Um, best of luck to you, to Brenda, to Bandit, to all your family. Um, thank you so much.
4: Hey, well, the fact you just brought those uh, three into it, and Brenda, Bandit, the family, uh, you guys can call anytime.
1: Oh, That's so, thank um, you I, so I forgot You're... off the
4: minion. That was a good one too, remember? Lena oh. Solmark had a goaltending mask on that had the minion on top. Oh man. Oh I remember that. Yeah. And he took a he made a save, he flicked it up and I just said off the minion and probably have to be like, what's he talking about? <laughs> like if you're if you're if you're listening on radio and you're not seeing it on TV since we simulcast, right? So some of your viewers may or may not know we simulcast out of Buffalo. Right. Um off the minion might have meant what's a minion? What's he talking about? <laughs> Did somebody throw a minion on the ice and it deflected off the minion?
1: That was a great mask. Yeah, it was. I liked Aaron Dell's mass last year. Yeah,
4: goalie masks are pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty good expression. It's kind of like what ta- what kind of guitar do you buy, right? It, it says something a little bit about you. So.
0: Once again, just thank you Dan. Um that was an outstanding experience. Um, one of the highlights of my life being able to talk to someone that, you know, I've listened to Uh, basically daily uh, when during hockey season. Um, And he, you were just so gracious with your time, Dan. uh, We just, we greatly appreciate everything that, that you did for us and, and the just amazing conversation we got to have. So thank you so much.
2: Agreed. Thank you, Dan.
1: Yeah, we really do appreciate that. and That was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got to do that again with him and really do appreciate that. Well, before we wrap up here today, uh, we all came to a consensus that we're all going to agree that on Friday night, the Boston Red Sox did more than just drop the ball. Uh, they absolutely looked like a single A baseball team up against the Toronto
0: Blue Jays, giving up yeah.
1: 28 runs on 29 hits. And it's they great dropped the
0: ball over the pack. They were wicked bad. They didn't well,
2: just drop it, it. They destroyed the ball.
1: And it, it, it was great because within that game, we were able to come up with three things we're going to be able to vote on. That's how bad they were. So, uh,
2: Yay.
0: Cameron,
1: Cameron, what's the first one you got for us?
2: Um, I, it's definitely, for me, got to be the guy in the fifth inning who proposed to his
0: girlfriend when they were down. I think it was 25 runs at the time. What a lovely memory to have linked to your <laughs> yeah. proposal. The right. worst defeat, one of the worst defeats in, in a Major League Baseball game's history.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that's definitely gonna—they're definitely gonna remember that for the rest of their lives. Hopefully, uh, their marriage goes a little bit better than what the Sox did on Friday night.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, you think that's a bad omen? Like, I think that's just like—I think you gotta say no if you're her. Like,
1: that's just like a sign.
0: Like, <laughs> like why?
1: <laughs> I would love in a year to get an update. Just, I want like, an update
0: yeah. on them. Yeah. yeah. I just, just genuine curiosity if that uh if that has the legs to go or not. Because I don't Maybe. I don't think it does.
2: Maybe we reach out to them and get them to do an interview too. <laughs> yeah. that,
1: that would actually be awesome to hear from that. Just because obviously, you know, the guys plan on doing this and then you have the Sox at that point twenty-five runs over five minutes. Like Are you still nervous? <sighs> are you discouraged or What's going on? Yeah,
0: I mean, I would be a little fucking discouraged if I was going to propose to my girlfriend. And then the team where they're rooting for is just getting the absolute piss beat out of them by some fucking Canadians. Like, (laughs) but yeah, Toronto certainly got a got a win there that night. And uh, that guy took a fat L. He dropped the ball.
1: Well, uh, no, come on. That guy himself did not drop the ball the Red Sox in general. Well, the right
0: jury's there. still out. We need to, we need the year long update.
1: Well, we got a couple more to talk about within this one game. Ian, what's the other one you got for us?
0: Probably just, you know, the Red Sox pitching, if you can even call it that, uh, 29 hits, 28 runs, uh, just an absolute, just shit show by the Red Sox. Um, I, I, I feel like this is a thing that gets said a lot. When, when, you know, games like this happen. I I could have gone out there and done a marginally better or equal performance to what the Red Sox were able to accomplish. So, <laughs> like,
3: so, you know,
1: yeah. So, okay, well, let's put that in perspective. So, do you think on Friday night, let, let's go over two innings, give you some grace here. The fourth and the fifth inning, combined, Toronto scored 15 runs. Do you think you can get six outs – I'm serious. Six
3: outs.
0: I don't think I can get six outs. All right, hold on, hold on. So I don't think I can get six outs. I'm not I'm not fooling anyone, right? But let's take a look at uh Caleb Ort. All right. He was the third pitcher of the game for the Red Sox. He he threw uh he threw <laughs> Oh my god, this is so bad. He threw roughly 20 ish pitches, 20, 25 pitches. All right. He got two outs. He gave up seven hits, a walk, and eight earned runs. Oh,
2: my God. Struck
0: out. Struck out. Oh, so here it is. He threw 34 pitches. 34 pitches. And in those 34 pitches, uh, seven of them were hit. At least four of them were balls leading to a walk. Uh, and then he was, a- he somehow he was able to strike one guy out. And he, got it. one other out for a total of two outs i could have been more effective than caleb Ort in that game uh cameron one two three four five six seven pitchers they
2: blew that many pitchers for seven pitchers combined
0: seven pitchers combined to pitch nine innings gave up 29 hits 28 runs 27 of them earned five walks nine strikeouts they gave up five home runs
2: what was their what was their stat line today
0: uh, I can't. I don't know. I mean, I would assume that some of these people are, yeah. So Yolmer Sanchez pitched
1: third baseman. Yep, and
0: he only gave up. He was he, gave he a run was the, he in. was he was their third best most effective pitcher. Jake Diekman went one inning, gave up a hit, struck a guy out, and then Swaruma. Uh, I'm gonna butcher that name. He pitched one inning, struck out one guy, clean frame, and then Yolmer Sanchez was the next most effective pitcher for the Red Sox that night.
2: Oh
1: my gosh. <laughs> so would you say uh, that the Red Sox pitching dropped the ball?
0: Yes. Specifically Caleb Ort, <laughs> who oh, wow. I, who I could have pitched better on Friday night.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I think they probably could have picked someone out of the stands and potentially given them a
0: better outing. Why not, right? I wish I wish baseball had a, a, a scenario like the, uh, the NHL does with the emergency backup goalie situation. Like, emergency backup reliever. Like, just take the first guy out of the stands that says he pitched, like, high school ball and let him just – let him live out his dream. Or her. Let him live out their dream. You know what I mean? Like, you're not gaining anything. And, like, you're only risking people getting hurt. That's why position players pitch. Like, I guess it's fun for them, though, too.
1: <laughs> well, uh, we got one more, and I, I think this one actually should be the winner. Uh, an inside-the-park grand slam was hit by Ramil Tapia in the top of the third. Well, let's listen to the clip.
3: Sends a drive to deep center, but where is it? And it's over, way
0: over the head of Duran, who never saw it. He never saw it. Tapia around third, heading home, and
3: inside the park,
1: grand slam
3: for Raimel Tapia.
1: So, uh, inside the park alone, already that's pretty rough. Um, the center fielder, Jalen Duran, he just gave up. Did what
0: did he see? It. It looks like he doesn't see it. That's what I'm seeing.
1: I know and I, I understand that, but once he figured out the ball landed and he just turns around and stands it's there like the a end. jackass.
0: Yeah, he like, kind I, of just his teammate
1: run for killed. it from left field. Yeah. I, and I understand at that point the Blue Jays are up ten nothing after that and of the park home run. Um
2: whoever sorry, can I mind whoever was the cutoff man bulleted it. Good for him for continue to play.
1: Yeah, that is just an absolute pathetic, pathetic, pathetic attempt i don't care you didn't see you saw the ball land go hustle and get off your ass and this guy he's this is only his second year in the majors he's only batting 241 so it's not like he's some stellar player who thinks he's above
0: yeah but he had level. a double that night so oh okay
1: my bad <laughs> okay i take that all back no. so,
0: <laughs> and he struck out three times <laughs> he was, oh
1: my god he was one struck out away huh but still what a just a lazy effort that should not be in the major leagues. If I was a skipper, I would have sat his ass out the rest of the game. Maybe sent him back down to Triple A Um
0: I feel like you'd get along with Tony Larusa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never. Would right you?
0: Would you? If you were co- uh, managing Robinson Cano and he didn't run out a ground ball or like we popped it up and didn't run it out, would you bench him?
1: Yes, That's wild.
2: Would you get I mad if your player hit a home run when you were up by a lot?
1: No, who gives a shit about that? Or like Tony Larusa you know does. Also, you know what also bugs me is like when someone steals and they're up like eight nothing, and it's like the ninth or the eighth. You know, late in the oh, game. Oh, you would be friend with
2: Tony Larusa then?
1: No, no, I wouldn't be mad about that. Oh, you, you wouldn't be lame. mad? Okay. No, I don't like when people get upset with that.
2: Yeah, Tony Larusa does. He called out his player on the White Sox.
0: Oh You're shit boys okay hang on i gotta derail this conversation because my phone just buzzed and i got the spiciest trade offer in my fantasy fantasy football league and i will this is a genuine i i gotta this this will be interesting i want to hear what you guys think about this this guy wants me to give him jerry judy jk dobbins and a first round pick next year for juju saquon Clyde Edwards-Elair, a third and a fourth next year.
1: No. Yeah, no,
0: no. You giving up a first? No. I don't. I don't see how he thinks I'm going to give him Jerry Judy and J.K. Dobbins and a first. Like I or put
2: him a blast like, right like, now. Like what? Yeah, the,
0: Wet Noodle Squad. Wet Noodle Squad for my fantasy football league on Dynasty. If you're listening, fuck you. You dropped the ball. This is a terrible trade offer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's I. I don't know like what the big piece of that besides Saquon, but even then, like as much as like you want to, like I, Saquon, I
0: offered him, I offered him Judy for uh Etienne or whatever the the Jags running back straight up, like it's one it. for one. Yeah, Etienne. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a fair trade because like I'm assuming a lot of risk with Etienne and Jerry Judy's not the most proven, but he's an everyday like wide receiver that's getting Russell Wilson to throw to him now, like. ETN hasn't played a fucking single game.
1: That is true. Besides, I think, one preseason game last year.
0: Yeah. Um, Fuck you, Wet Noodle Squad.
1: Yeah, that's a bad trend. Uh, well, before we get out of here, I know this was kind of a longer episode once again. Thank you, Mr. Dan Dunleavy, for coming on and giving us your time. Really do appreciate that awesome conversation, really just the perspective of what it's like to be an NHL announcer. Well, everyone, thanks again for listening. I know this was a longer episode, but hope you enjoyed our interview with Dan Dunleavy. So for everyone here at the Ball Droppers... Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you, guys.